You seek the key, but first you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system, up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant, with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? <clears throat> the real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is The James Altucher Show. Today on The James Altucher Show. Oh my God, this podcast blew me away. It did not go in the direction I thought. This is a Side Hustle Friday podcast, so I was going to talk to my good friend Noah Kagan about five different amazing businesses you could start via YouTube. Instead, it became this comprehensive guide to how to build your YouTube channel so you can build any business from it. But then it became much more than that, much deeper and much more about how to have a successful life. We talked about so many different topics. I've got like three pages worth of notes. So if you want to view it just for how to build an amazing YouTube presence and why and how to build a multi-million dollar YouTube business, it's good for that. But strap yourself in. Here's the podcast. How are you guys? James. We're great. Gosh, no, I feel like the last time we even, I always feel like I'm in touch with you because we're probably, I, I'm reading all your emails. I don't know what you see from me, but I always feel like vaguely like we're still, we're the same crew and, uh, uh, I'm glad we finally get a chance to do another podcast together. Like you're a super idea machine and you're constantly exploring the boundaries of entrepreneurship, not entrepreneurship, like, you know, Hey, let's make a $12 billion company tomorrow. But how, but basically how people, all the unusual ways, millions of people make a living in today's economy. Would you say that's somewhat correct? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think there's. I think my superpower is, is making money. Uh, I wish I was an engineer. I find them a lot smarter and more interesting. And I, I, what I like is like, I, how do I find the creators, uh, and then help them create businesses? There's there's an amazing book, The Innovators. Oh yeah, uh, by uh, I know that. Is it by Walter? Oh no, it's by Paul Johnson, right? No, 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 no. You had it right, Walter Isaacson. And yeah. what he, one of the things he highlighted in the book that I thought was really interesting and made me feel good about myself was that a lot of the greatest successes had the the engineer idea person and then the executor. And so I've I've been I think blessed finding these people who have amazing ideas or and working nearby them. So it's kind of been a superpower. I will tell you as both a technologist and an entrepreneur that right now I mean I don't really do any technology anymore. I mean I I was a computer scientist and then a software programmer for a good 15 20 years. But the benefits now is that a programmer or an engineer can approach me with a problem 
And it's a style of thinking. I can still figure out, okay, here's how you simplify it. Here's how you isolate this problem. So you could just work on this without affecting the rest of the, the engineering problem. So I still, there's a, there's a way of thinking as well. I don't need to actually code, but I can, yeah. I can guide coders as if I was a coder. I mean, one, you look like a coder, James. I do two, look like I, a coder. <laughs> I think for everyone out there, there's literally unlimited ways to make money. Uh, it just depends on, on how far you're willing to go. Well, what do you mean by how far you're willing to go? I think a lot of people, I'll take my brother as an example. I love you, Seth. Uh, but he just wants to work a few hours a day. And so the thing, so uh, let me give you an example. He came up with a business called Horsecom. Horsecom, love the title. Yeah, and so... He is a doctor, and so he created Ultra Endurance Powder. And this is when he goes on, like, 50-mile bike rides or long long mountain bike rides. He makes this concoction. It's basically scientifically figured out, like, all right, what are the elements I need to have an Ultra Endurance Powder? And he uses it every single time he rides. And my thought is, like, yo, man, why don't you, you know, create a Shopify store or just post it, you know, text your friends or post it on Facebook or wherever it and start selling that powder. And... In terms of willing to do it, he's like, yeah, you know, I'm just kind of like not wanting to put in that effort. And so it's not it's not bad or good. I guess you could judge it. I do. Uh, but he just doesn't want it. Well, what does Seth do for a living? Like, well, how does he make money? So he, it's, it is interesting. So he trained traditionally as a doctor. So he went and got the, I think this is fascinating for a lot of people out there. He got the certificate of life, right? So someone who's making millions like Tim Ferriss, he didn't get a certificate to get permission to be a productivity guru. He just did it. And so I think there's a, a different style of thinking where it's like, I need this permission. I need mm. this certificate. And I think my, you know, what he, way he makes money today, not, I think the way he makes money today is he reviews. It's pretty interesting. He reviews the insurance claims. So if you go to the hospital and the hospital sends, uh, writes up like what they did to you, he actually is like, nah, they didn't do, they're not charging enough or they're charging too much. So he kind of fight works with the insurance company. So he's almost like the advocate for insurance sitting inside the hospital, which is smart, a smart model for both sides. Yeah. I mean, even that as a business is interesting. So if, let's say, James, you go to the hospital or an example, his girlfriend went to the hospital and they tried to overcharge her for, I think, her knee surgery. And he fought it because he's like, actually, you didn't need to do this procedure. And so he cut her bill down. And even that could be turned into some service or business. Oh, OK. So let, let's take it even one step further. I can feed in all of the paperwork that he gets, plus all of the solutions or, or, or outcomes that he comes up with and feed that into uh, an AI thing. And you could you could AI that to just flag uh, across thousands of hospitals, the one out of 100 issues that really need uh, addressing. You remind me, uh, when I worked at Intel, uh, you know, was it 15 years ago, and I did the supply chain all on a spreadsheet. And I went to the meeting and I said, you know, the spreadsheet, there's you could put it in the web. There's This is back when PHP was really cool. And I was like, we can just put it in the web with SQL and like, it could run all these these spreadsheets. And I think just certain things were they're too big or too slow or there's just too many people involved. Uh, so that stuff is going to happen. It just takes time. Yeah. No, it takes time. But Or sometimes it doesn't. Like, it's amazing to me, just like a base, like every year, a thousand people come up with the idea, hey, let's share medical records across doctor's offices. And it never gets done. <laughs> like, that's been a business idea. There's even public companies doing it, but it's not <laughs> happening. Could someone, I mean, I think your, your point is right. Like it doesn't have to take time and sometimes it just, just happens. Like I saw a business idea yesterday that was really neat. There's a, and then I'll tell you the subsequent thing that was super interesting. This guy, I don't remember his name. He went to a restaurant and you know, at restaurants now everywhere around the world, they have these QR codes. Yeah, no, this? I've seen that. 
And so he created it so that if you have a restaurant, you can instantly create the QR code if you don't know how, and it, on, it super creates a, a mobile and web menu for you, really fast and easy. And he did it in a day. And I was like, damn, that's like amazing that he's a, so fast, so quickly adapting to what's going on. But the, the second part that was, was just as funny was that he posted it online on Twitter, and then like probably like five to 10 other people were like, hey, the, I have that idea too, I just did it too. Now, I thought that was kind of interesting how when Facebook came out or a lot of these things come out, there are many, many people who are doing it but only one or two that actually win. Well, well, you know, there's two things interesting there. One is why, you know, why did Facebook win? Was it a marketing thing? Was it an engineering thing? Was it, um, uh, you know, standing on the, the shoulders of giants thing where, you know, Facebook had the one or two innovations that finally, you know, made it uh, mass acceptable to the entire world. Uh, and there's lots of kind of books about, you know, the history of innovation and so on. But uh, there's also, for entrepreneurs, if an idea is easy, like if you come up with an idea in a day, I think it's important for entrepreneurs to ask, well, this is such a great idea. There's 7 billion people in the world. Why am I the guy blessed with this opportunity? And there has to be a really good, maybe you don't have to think of the answer, but I think it's worth thinking of the answer to, to understand what your edge is. I think, yeah. Maybe. So, so like in the case of your friend, he didn't have an edge. So basically, you know, random waiters at restaurants probably did it themselves and made the QR code for those restaurants. Like there might not be a business there, even though the idea yeah. is great. Sometimes I think like on this show, James, there's a listener out there or on, you know, no Kagan show on YouTube. I think the next Elon Musk or the next Steve Jobs is listening right now. Yeah. And so I just kind of think that why not you? you or me. And I, I think your point is valid though with to win, you need some advantage or to win like in this YouTube game, which, you know, I think one of the reasons you reached uh, out to, uh, to catch up to win in YouTube. Now you cannot be an amateur. You cannot be a hobbyist. You actually have to be a professional. I gotta, I gotta like write notes down before I forget. First of all, you're, you're the power of the certificate versus non certificate. Mm. Uh, uh, and you know, there's unlimited ways to make money. I, and then uh, I think what I've seen on YouTube, especially that's where I've spent a lot of my time uh, this year. And I think this is, I think that's literally going to be the largest job creator in the world. YouTube. I think YouTube is, YouTube is going to be the biggest employer in the world. Employer or ecosystem? I guess employer, because they're kind of controlling the amount of salaries that a lot of these people are getting. Uh, but to your point on your, on your recent video about YouTube started businesses is that the ads are almost the smallest part of every business. It depends on the channel, but for what I would call a professional channel, what I'd call for like Mr. Beast, who's one of the largest now, and I talked to his manager, he doesn't call Mr. Beast an entertainer. He calls him a new Disney. And what's fascinating at the professional level of someone like Mr. Beast and, and these channels with millions of subscribers and teams is that the majority of their money comes from uh, direct sponsorships or their own products. So they're either creating like dolls that are sold in stores or different services, or they get direct brand sponsorships. The ad revenue generally as you get larger is a, is a smaller piece. Yeah. So, so it's interesting. I want to talk about YouTube and, and your exploration of kind of unusual YouTube businesses because they're all, it really, like a lot of people think, oh my gosh, I need to be Logan Paul to make money on YouTube. I need to have a billion followers and shoot $10,000 out of, you know, t-shirt guns or whatever. And that's Pretty how much. I'm going to make money on YouTube. But, but you you've uncovered and I, and I've seen these as well, which is what I wanted to talk to you. You've uncovered lots of businesses on YouTube that they might not have a lot of subscribers. They might not have, um, be doing like 
5,000 crazy YouTube videos uh, uh, a week with, you know, million dollar production teams, but there are businesses out there, but I like this distinction between an amateur and a professional. And we'll, we'll go over that. One thing I also liked about what you were discussing and just to summarize, you sent out an email earlier this week with a link to YouTube businesses that were crazy businesses, like interesting. You would never think they would make money. And yet these people are making like a million dollars a year. And it kind of suggests anyone you, you give a step-by-step guide for each one and anyone could not anyone, but, but a lot of people could make money these ways or anyone could probably make money some way on YouTube. And the one thing I noticed, and then we'll, we'll, we'll get into it. But the sure. one thing I noticed was this is what I call the, the spoke and wheel approach. So the wheel is the domain you're an expert in. It, it might be chess. It might be fly fishing. It might be your brother, Seth's, you know, ultra endurance powder. That's the wheel. And then there's spokes. Oh, I'm going to have YouTube ads. I'm going to have affiliate links. I'm going to sell my own product. I'm going to write a book. I'm going to have, uh, 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 do coaching. I, I'm going to blah, blah, blah. So those are the spokes and the, and that that's the nature of entrepreneurship in today's world is that we have the wheel and then different technologies and different platforms give us the different spokes. And so that's why being spoke dependent, it diversifies your spoke. So you don't need to be spoke dependent. You don't need to be just on TikTok to build a business. I think YouTube is probably the number one way that if I was 18 and had to build a business up, that's where I would go. Well, what would be the business you would build? The business I would build would be content creation around any type of topic I'm interested in. And, and it was fascinating to me about being so much into the YouTube world this year is all the weirdest niches of people who, even if you don't have large audiences, let me give you an example. There's a guy named, this guy has a large audience. His name's Graham Stevens. He's in the business category. He's like a 20-ish year old guy. He's got about, he does have 2 million subscribers. And he's making, he showed it a few days ago, he's making $2 million from his YouTube ads. $2 million a year in his YouTube ads. And I think in any category you have, if you're interested in biking, there's a guy named Ryan Dujer. This guy literally just makes videos about bike packing. So he goes on a bike packing thing and he makes a video. And so I think for anyone out there, whatever age you are, you can start a career like this. I think what's, what's fascinating that people kind of miss out about, the, especially these weird niches, there's even weirder ones. I just found out a one about a guy who does lock picking. Uh, the, the things that are weird about it is number one, it is a profession. And so a career is not something you just do for a day. You, you're gonna probably do it for some years. And it takes a lot of work to do this. So Graham Stephen puts out a video every single day uh, and a lot of the people that I've researched or met have been doing uh, a video or two videos a week for 10 years. And I think a lot of people think, oh yeah, you know, just get the camera out. What's up YouTube, upload that. And then you're rich, which is really far from the truth. Right, well, you know, it's funny looking at this. Well, well, well let me ask you this question for, so, and this is really for the benefit of the people listening to this. I get it that, you know, 10 years of consistency and, and quality will, and, and improvement will build a business. But if someone is listening to this and they're saying, well, I guess I should have started 10 years ago. And I know the saying like the best two times to start a business is 10 years ago and today, but if they want to start a business today, is this, is this a valid approach for them or is YouTube kind of, you know, done? Oh, I mean, one, there's many ways to make money and start businesses. So you could start it with the physical product. You could do it with services. I think that you could do one of the ways that I've loved trying to show people how to start businesses is, is Facebook Marketplace. You can literally put your stuff onto rent, a camera, a bike, whatever, uh, or products you're making on Facebook Marketplace for free and see if you can actually get some buyers. 
there's many different types of businesses to start. I didn't even know really about Facebook Marketplace, which is odd because I I'm really into all this stuff. Like, there's a lot of businesses on there. There's, I think what's interesting is how can I start businesses where there's already demand of customers? So there's a demand of customers on Facebook Marketplace looking for things. Same with Etsy, same with Amazon, same with Craigslist. And so I think there's many different types of businesses you can start. I think YouTube is the most accessible for the most variety of interests. What's amazing, another guy who's done really well recently is Ali Abdal. He's a doctor. So he's a 26-year-old British doctor, James, and he's in London. And he just loves making videos. And... Uh, he now makes more money making videos than being a doctor, uh, but he still does both. And so to him specifically, it's like, hey, there's no excuse if you don't have time because he's a full-time doctor and he puts out three amazing videos a week. Uh, the only other thing, I, one other thing I would say about the YouTube world I find fascinating is it's just the beginning. So whatever interest you have, you can do. But a lot of people are like, hey, I don't want to be on stage. I'm not James. I'm not Noah. I'm not like this guy that wants to get the attention. I don't need the attention. I think there's going to be this amazing ecosystem of software created, like AI or... Um, GPT-4 videos yeah. that like help create, like how do you have an optimal script? So I think there's going to be this nice ecosystem of either video editors uh, and or software creators and producers around uh, the YouTube world. Like I think one of the jobs of the future that could be really big, like we have a guy we pay full time for this. He, I would say about 40 to 50% of his job is just figuring out the titles and thumbnails of our YouTube videos. You know, it's interesting because I, again, I'll look at like Graham uh, Stephen, um, who you mentioned, he's got 2.4 million subscribers, 540 videos. I love his titles. So here's a title of his second to last video, uh, uh, Why Millennials Are Financially Ruined. And here's another one, How YouTuber Graham Stephen Lives in LA on 1.6 million a year. Beautiful. That's a beautiful title. Uh, Why I'm Leaving California, of course, is now a, a practically a meme. Um, eight <laughs> Daily Habits That Changed My Life, simple and, and meme-like. I confronted Graham Stephen, the cheapest millionaire. Boom. Uh, uh, there was another one. How I bought this house for $0. I've got to click on that. Uh, so these are great titles, and they're simple. Yeah. I mean, if you look at his videos, he's been doing it consistently for three years or longer and four videos a week. And now I think he has two channels doing a video each day for those. But no, let, let's take a, the example of your, your brother, Seth. So high endurance powder, and I'm curious what that means. What is a high endurance powder? You just, you just put powder on your arms and legs and oh, now you- Oh, no, no, excuse me. So you, it, it, let's take a step diagonal with these two things. So number one, my brother has this powder uh, where he can, you basically add water. And so instead of having like, if you're a biker uh, like me and you do long distance stuff, normally you have like gels or you have food or you put powders in your water. Uh, and so he found what's best for his stomach and what helps him to actually do the longest distance of keeping him energized. Because most times if you do a long distance ride, you need food, um, running or biking. And so he just uses this powder. But he doesn't want to create a business out of that. Uh, so alternatively, I was like, well, when you do your mountain biking, you can also just re he record it, use a GoPro or use whatever camera, and then make that into your business. Uh, he didn't want to do that either. But, but like, let, let, let's take the example of this high endurance powder. Like, let's say you come up with a high endurance powder and you do some tests like, Here's me, I, you know, I, I biked a mile in 15 minutes without the powder and in three minutes with the powder. I'm like, uh, it's like limitless. And now you want to create a business and you figure, well, I just keep telling people that YouTube's the best place to start, perhaps. But Noah Kagan's telling me it's going to take me 10 years of doing seven videos a week uh, before I make a living at it. Like, what would you do to kind of, you know, speed that up? Accelerate it. So I'll, I'll tell you a few observations that I've had recently. Uh, that I think people should be aware of. Number one, 
I call it the law of 100. So if you are doing any content creation, get to 100 pieces. What do you mean? So get to 100 videos, get to 100 blog posts, get to 100 Instagram posts, get to 100 TikTok videos. Because it's very easy. I've noticed, even for myself, when I started first started my podcast, got to 50 and quit. So if you're doing it on YouTube, make sure you think, hey, I need to get to 100. In each video, I'm going to try to just make a little bit better. Okay, let me, let me comment on that because it's it's I love this. Um, it reminds me of uh, Joey Coleman. Do you know him? He's a great public speaker. He, he speaks at a lot of like Jason Gainyard, MMT type events. Mm. And um, anyway, he um, used to run kind of a, a, a services agency, like a, an ad agency or a PR, some, some sort of agency like business. And he had a rule, the law of 100, just like you're a law of 100. But his law of 100 was once you get a customer, talk to them every day for a hundred days and they're a customer for life. So have some touch point with your customer when you just get them every day for a hundred days, customer for life. So there's something about that consistency up to a hundred that that's very powerful. Yeah. That, that's what I've noticed for myself is if I can get to a hundred and keep improving, then I can decide uh, one, you probably have some success, but two, then you can decide if you want to continue or not. Number two, this you might disagree with, but what I've noticed for, and I'll, we'll go to the accelerant stuff as well. If you are trying to get rich, like what I've noticed on average, it takes about 10 years. So I call it the 10-year rule, which is to be a millionaire. If you want a million cash or you want to be famous in music or you want to be famous in any of this stuff, 10 years. And I think the biggest thing about that for me was like, oh, wow, it took me 10 years to, to make my first million cash. But the biggest thing is like, one, well, I probably have to start today. And two, I should probably find something that I'd be interested in working on for 10 years. Like you love writing and you love talking and sharing it, James. It's obvious. And so you've been doing this, I don't know, 15, 20, 30 years? Um, 30 years writing, 20 years of writing for, for where I got paid. So it was 10 years of 3,000 words a day to be good enough for people to notice. Yes. And then, you know, I built an audience fairly quickly once I started getting paid. But I would say my next evolution of writing was in decade three. And now I'm entering decade four of it. Yeah. And then the last part you were asking, all right, so you come up with the powder or let's say you have a bike, you sell bikes, and you want to do YouTube. Um, what I think is really critical at this point is how do you get validation and how do you maybe copy the, the crumbs of success? So let me be specific. With my brother's bike powder, I actually tried selling it for him and I got about five buyers. So what I did specifically was I posted in a bike riding group that I'm in. And I'm like, hey, my brother makes this stuff. Here's why he does it. Here's how he likes it. Leave a comment if it's something you'd be interested in. And two, I posted it on my Facebook wall. I don't know if people still use Facebook or not. Uh, but what everyone can do, and this is what gets missed out on validation, which is uh, literally the most important part of any business. So true, by the way. I, I've even written about this. Validation and experimentation of an idea is Dude, so like 90% of success. Yes. Well, the, the point here, and, and this is a, the critical part of it, is that to get validated, not maybe emotionally and personally, but in your business, the idea is how hard and, or easy is it to find customers? Because if it's really freaking hard now to get customers, it's only going to get harder. And you're like, hey, maybe I can try a different idea. And so my, I posted on these places and I got probably about four to five people saying they're interested. Uh, I posted uh, in the group. I posted uh, on my Facebook. What I would have kept doing is probably emailing people. I like real time. So anything text, Slack, live chat, whatever you can do where you can get real feedback from people. And what I observed from that, that powder specifically was, there wasn't a lot of interest. When you actually start a business that there's a shit ton of interest, uh, like another example is I posted my bicycle on Facebook Marketplace saying, hey, I, 
I want to rent my bike to you. Is anyone interested in renting this bike for $50 a day? I was trying to validate a bicycle rental site or as a rental business. Dude, I had like probably 30 people within the first day saying, hey, yeah, I want to rent it. How much? Segundo disponible. <laughs> or segui disponible. So they would write, like, so you're in Austin. They, they'd write to you from like, I don't know, Kansas City and say. No, no, no. This is in Austin. I just posted on the Facebook Austin Marketplace. Hey, here's my bike. It's 50 bucks a day. It's for rent. Is anyone interested? Why does anyone and, want to rent a bicycle? Dude, bikes are sold out everywhere. Uh, and premium bikes, generally most stores won't rent them. And I have a pretty nice DeRosa bike. But and again, maybe no one wanted to rent it. But the, I think that's the important part when you're starting these businesses. I didn't spend any money, didn't spend a lot of time. I found it if the people are excited or not. And if they're not, I could go into something that they are. There's actually in New York a company called Element. Have you heard of these guys? No. L Dude, this stuff is awesome. Uh, I can send you a, uh, a case of it. It's called LMNT, and it's electrolytes. But I want to I want to highlight a really important point, and we can talk about how to grow a YouTube channel fast. Yeah, yeah, we'll get to that. But I'm still unpacking what you're what you're saying yeah, right so now. Yeah, so we're rolling. So yeah, with Element T, here's what's really fascinating if you compare it to my brother's example. So Element T is basically electrolytes. So it it turns your water into a Gatorade, but it tastes fucking amazing. I love this stuff, and so. If no one wants the horse powder, horse cum, horse powder, whatever you want to call it, and you put that out there, then maybe you can find something else they do want. So you could say, hey, no one wanted this, but hey, guys, I also make this thing where I put sugar and salt, uh, and I use it in my mixes, but it's really an amazing electrolyte, so I get energy while I'm cycling. And LMNT, I think they've gone to like $10 million in revenue uh, just within the first one or two years of launching. And so it's like, holy shit, people are super demanding that versus maybe ultra endurance powder, there's just a, a lower amount of demand. So, so wait, so, so, but what's the difference between the two really other than marketing? I think the use cases are different. Like most people can use a Gatorade or some energy drink if they're doing a soul cycle class. But if you're trying to sell something where, Hey, if you do a super long distance ride or run, uh, it's not as compelling. And it's not even just like, how often are you doing a long distance run versus Zero. Hey, how often are you tired during your day or how often are you going to the gym and you want to have day. more energy? <laughs> yeah. The majority is going to be higher. So, but, but, but let, let me get, let me, I'm curious about this validation idea because um, first off, I agree with you. And usually the way I package it is that the most important part of being an entrepreneur is not necessarily the idea, but the reduction of risk. People think entrepreneurs are risk takers. And my argument is a good entrepreneur actually spends most of his time reducing risk. Dude, amen. You know, what's funny. I, I realize this, James. I'm not risky in business or with my money. I have like 50% of my money in cash. Yeah, me too. I have, I'm almost all, it's like literally in my checking account. I don't <laughs> even put it in my savings account. <laughs> and I just, I'm like, wow, I guess I'm just really not. And I, and I think that's the misconception is that you don't have to take a lot of risk if you want to go on an entrepreneur journey. And I think most of the, a lot of the most successful entrepreneurs, their intent is an example of like, hey, I just like making cookies. I just like programming. I made this thing for myself. And it is finding someone who is the business person potentially or taking that on yourself to say, oh, maybe I can give this out and sell to other people. Well, the, what's happening there is, is that let's say I wanted to make a dating site, all right, because dating sites make a lot of money. Well, I don't know anything about dating sites. I don't know any of the nuances. I don't know the field. I understand what a dating site is. I know the domain, but I don't know the field. I don't know who the players are, how they succeeded. Um, you know, what are the best distribution channels for beginning dating sites? That's the field versus the domain. And 
But if I were to say, oh, I'm going to make something that's going to help people do better podcasts, well, I'm a, I'm a domain and field expert, so it's a lot easier for me to to know whether this is a good idea or not. Um, and and so, if I'm going to invest in myself, I need to be I need to be the, a domain or 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 field expert. But if I'm going to invest in something, which is a different style of entrepreneurship, if I'm going to invest in a private company. I need to know that somebody I'm co-investing with is a expert in the domain and field. So those are the two differences. Yeah. The one thing I would add to your point that I, I love what you said, and, and this is the way I heard it, is that it's great to solve your own problems. I yeah. think that's, that's the best business to make. Like, hey, what's the business you want? Like AppSumo.com, which is our main business, software deals. I didn't want to pay for software full price. So I hit up MailChimp and I was like, yo, can I get a discount? I hit up FreshBooks. I hit up LinkedIn. And we kept growing. I was like, oh, I guess this is a business. But I just wanted the deals, uh, and I wanted to work remotely. How's AppSumo doing? Honestly, I feel unbelievable. I can't believe it. I really can't believe how what we've been able to create. And you've been, you've been doing it for a long time. Like, I want to say 10 years. We're on our 11th year in March, which is yeah. the fact that software got so much bigger. You know, in hindsight, everyone's like, oh, yeah, software's big. But we, we've just been very fortunate to ride amazing waves now that everyone's working online. Everyone's working at home. Uh, and then we've, I honestly, part of it is that, what's that and the team. Uh, I've hired a leader named Eamon who basically has built this phenomenal team that uh, executes really well in AppSumo. And I mean, I'm, where we're going in the future, uh, we're creating the number one marketplace for entrepreneurs. So if someone like yourself has an ebook or you create software or you create a course, you can go on AppSumo right now. Uh, it's at the top, submit your product and we bring you customers. Wow, I might have to take you up on that. But let me ask you this, like, I feel like I'm a seller, meaning if I start a business and it's doing well, meaning it's got customers, so so not just the idea is validated, but the business itself and the execution is validated and up and running, I sell the business. Why haven't you sold the business? You could sell the business for, let's say, I don't know, somewhere between 20 and 100 million. I don't know your numbers. No, I, I can share with you our high level numbers. So this year we'll do over 30 million in revenue and I don't know the exact number because I try to basically get profit to be zero at the end of the year because sure. I want to reinvest everything. But like, but like, you know, virtually, what's your profit? <laughs> virtually, real. Uh, somewhere between three and six million. Right. So you could sell it for somewhere between eighteen and a hundred million dollars, depending yeah. on how people value things. And I, I've thought about selling at different points, and I've tried to sell it. Uh, Stack Social actually offered two million dollars probably about six years ago. Two million. Was, no, yeah. fuck no. No, I, well, back then I was I was pretty sad and I wasn't really feeling the business. I, I guess with selling, I've always hesitated because I'm not. I don't really want to work anywhere else. Uh, part of me thinks it will liberate my identity. Like, okay, if I didn't have this, like one of my favorite quotes of all times is Steve Jobs: "Is it's like if you have a beginner's mind and you have to start new, there's no expectations and you're free." And I just like that conceptually. But the other part of me is like, yo, I, it's like my child. I love this thing. Uh, why would I want to do anything else? Like, it, yeah, I, I mean, if you feel like that, then keep growing it. But the other thing is you also have this like, you know, great fascination, which, which I do as well for, you know, new businesses and how they do it. And, and because it's such, it's such great it, when you match like creativity with monetization, that's like what the world is about right now. And, uh, you're fascinated by that too. You love that. And maybe it would unleash time and lifestyle to, to explore that in ways that you, you don't yet know. Yeah. I was, Talking about it with, I have a business coach slash therapist, and I, I was talking, him? what's that? Do I know him? Uh, his name's Leo. He founded Buffer. Mm -mm. I uh, know Leo, Buffer, but I don't know Leo. Yeah, Leo's one of the co-founders, so leowid.com. 
And I think I have been exploring like what really wakes me up in the morning. And I think everyone should just find the thing that wakes them up and they want to work on for free and then just make that their career. And I love promoting things and I love sharing things. I like these kind of conversations. I'm just like, I get so much more energy uh, doing this kind of stuff. And so, yeah, it has been a little bit of an exploration. Uh, maybe it's investing in companies I love. So lately I've like reached out to a few products. I'm like, yo, I love your product. I like the LMNT or a company called StreamYard. I love StreamYard. By the way, I'm I'm building something to potentially compete with StreamYard, and I don't mind saying it on the uh, on a, a public podcast because if someone wants to do it better than me, then power to them. But I'm a domain and field expert, so good luck. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting to play games where you have an, an easier advantage to win. You kind of yes. commented on that earlier. I think a lot of people, and I know myself over my career, I'm like, oh, how do I make the game harder? Uh, versus like, oh, where is my, where is my advantage? Where, where is there an unfair competition? Yes, it's totally true. Airbnb has changed my life. If anything, they have made my life so much better. Like I used to live in Airbnbs. I, I lived in over a hundred or 200 different Airbnbs over a three-year period. And I loved it. I love, I became a really good guest of Airbnbs and I got to know lots of hosts. So when I initially owned a house, I, of course, the first thing I thought was I'm going to turn my house into an Airbnb because I travel a lot. So why leave my house unused when I can make a side income by letting others Airbnb my house or come to stay in my house as guests. And having my own Airbnb or, or being a host for Airbnb has allowed me to do just that. And I've met other hosts. I've actually spoken at Airbnb's host conference. I think it was in 2017. I met so many just nice hosts. It's a great community. And I love you know turning my own home into an Airbnb. Like I'm traveling to Austin next month. My home's gonna be an Airbnb while I'm away and I'll stay in an Airbnb. I'd rather stay in like a three-story house Airbnb than in one tiny hotel room in, in the middle of Austin during South by Southwest. So listen, while you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Many people host on Airbnb, but there are people who are just letting their house sit empty who've never thought about it or didn't realize their space could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, then you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I remember last year I was asked to go speak at the Norway Business Summit, and I was so excited because side by side with the Business Summit was the Norway Chess Summit, where I would get to see in person Magnus Carlsen, the best chess player ever, playing chess. But it was four plane rides, like to get to the city that ultimately I would go to. So I really did not want to fly for 14 hours. And they, they were willing to pay for everything for me. So I, I, at first class. So I didn't want to fly for 14 hours and not be first class. So I had to hurry up and get on the phone immediately to get those first class tickets to a chess tournament in Norway. And listen, this is just like when, you know, you have to know when you want the best of anything, 
you have to act quickly or someone else will get it instead. And I did not want those seats to fill up. So it's like if you're hiring for your business, you want to find the most talented people for your open roles before the competition scoops them up. I just was talking to a friend this morning where he was trying to decide between some programmers and he waited a little too long and both the programmers he was interviewing took other jobs, like great jobs. So, you know, what's the best way then to hire the best as quickly as possible? ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter finds qualified candidates fast. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Just try it and see. You'll, you'll find out. So ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology takes center stage to identify the top talent for your roles. Immediately after you post your job, ZipRecruiter's smart technology starts showing you qualified people for it. And I know this because one time I signed up as an employee, potential employee on ZipRecruiter, and I got nonstop, really, I was, even though obviously I wasn't looking for a job, I love what I do, but I just wanted to see what would happen because they were a, a, a sponsor of my podcast. And the most interesting jobs would pop up in my emails like, hey, you're qualified for this or that. And so it's interesting to see. So just just go there and try it. Try ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Amp up your hiring performance. Now, this is more for if you're hiring, but amp up your hiring performance with ZipRecruiter and find the best fast. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So Brainstorm got too big. Summarize with AI in a click. Writer's block. Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. Canva. This idea of asking the question, why do I have an advantage is really important. So when you invest let's say someone calls me up and says, James, I have this great opportunity for you. And I'm like, Dave, I haven't spoken to you in three years. Like you're calling me right now. Like, like I, my one rule is nobody wakes up and says, man, today's the day I make James Altucher rich. Like no one in world history has done that. <laughs> and, and so, so, so that's the question I have to ask on investing. But the question on <laughs> entrepreneurship is I have to ask, why am I the one blessed with this opportunity? And this boils down to if I'm creating a software product, for instance, and there are competitors, I've got to look at the resumes of the software engineers of the other companies. And because there's sub subtleties in being a great programmer, some people are great data crunchers, some people are great systems programmers. So I have to see why haven't my competitors or potential competitors, if I do this business, why haven't their software developers developed this yet? And there has to be an answer. I have to know Think so? why this is such a billion dollar opportunity and no one's done it yet. I think a lot of the billion dollar companies seem stupid, especially at first. And the intent I would say based on what I've observed is that most of the billion dollar companies didn't start out as billion dollar ideas. 
Mm. So if you actually, and a lot of times if you look, you spend a lot of time looking at competitors, you kind of just like follow down their path. Uh, but some of these companies, like the, the name one giant company that you know today, like giant. Um, Google. Google. All right. So what did they actually start out as? They started out, so, so it's like Facebook. They started out building on the backs of giants. So they took all the other search engines and they added one new thing, which is um, this idea of how academic papers are ranked. You know, how many papers, how many future academic papers cite an older academic paper and the older one should rank higher on the search engine. That, so how many web pages link back to another web page, that web page should rank higher. And that was their, their addition. Um, it was based on a patent developed at Dow Jones and, uh, but Dow Jones never wanted to use it. Larry Page used it. And one other guy, Robin Lee used it. And he, he, Dow, he worked for Dow Jones, make a long story short. He was frustrated. He moved to China and started Baidu and Larry Page started Google. <laughs> so exactly right. I think that's the point is that when they started, it was like, Hey, this backrink algorithm is really cool. And it ranks things higher. Maybe there's a business here. And then the same thing with Facebook. Mark is a weirdo. And at Harvard, he's like, hey, how do I basically connect? They had a, he did other businesses, which is just as interesting because I think people miss out. They're like, oh, he just did one and it worked. Um, but he, he's a weirdo and he wanted to connect with girls and he wanted yeah. a way to like socially connect the Harvard campus. And I think after it started working, it's like, holy crap, this could be a big opportunity. Well, well, also, so I asked, so Peter Thiel had just written zero to one. This was back in 2014. And his point was, you should always start businesses or invest in businesses that are monopolies. And so I said to Peter, uh, Peter was the first investor in Facebook. And I'm like, well, Facebook was like the the 20th, you know, social media company. There, at the time, MySpace was the biggest. Then there was Friendster, Tribes.com, you know, GeoCities and a bunch of others. And he said, no, 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 no. Facebook was a monopoly. And I said, how so? And he said, Facebook was the first social media company that combined it with confirmed identity. It was the only, first social media company with confirmed identity. And that turned out to be the game changer. I mean, I, when I worked at Facebook, so I have somewhat of an insight, I think they're, they were just focused. I, mm. And I, that also blows my mind with business. Uh, two things. One, we forget how many competitors there are. Like when I started AppSumo 11 years ago, there are many other deal sites for software. And now there's only us. And when Facebook started, there was a ton of other competitors. There was ConnectU, there was MySpace, there was Friendster, and Facebook wasn't as obviously going to be the winner. Now it is. And I actually think they're going to lose. Uh, I'm that, very concerned for them. How, uh, how will they lose? What's a, and, and by the way, we haven't even gotten started on, on YouTube. you know, ma making YouTube video, yeah, YouTube, let's, YouTube talk, businesses in the, but how, what's the path for Facebook to lose? So the thing I was just going to finish about why I think they got so big is that I do think they also focused extremely well. Like Mark, Mark was basically like, we are going to focus on growing the site and not ads, which is what everybody else was doing. Uh, right, and he was, was very smart. disciplined about that. And I, I think it's extremely hard. To, it's really easy to have a diet for a month. Like my mom does a watermelon diet where she eats watermelon for a month. It's very hard to do that over 10 years. And I think Facebook has been done, has been making great decisions for 15 years. So that I, I do have a lot of respect for. And I think people discount that uh, in a lot of these big businesses. Why I think Facebook's going to fail, um, I think it's interesting to look at how communication and the medium of what they provide in value. And specifically, if you look at facebook.com, I don't know if you're using it or check into it. Yes. I, I do look, look at the site maybe once a day maybe every other day, but trying to use the site, I've kind of given up I, with the whole new design stuff. I don't really know how to use it. And so Facebook makes money if they have people's attention. 
And so I'm like, well, that site is fucking them. So I don't think they're going to get attention there to be able to show ads because that, that is how they, they're cash cow. And so it's like WhatsApp doesn't have ads. So that's going to neither get monetized. Instagram is basically their main revenue channel. That's to I didn't me know the, that. The, if I would be shocked if, if revenue from Instagram was not higher than Facebook. And the only other thing business line they have is Oculus. So I'm like, this is a trillion dollar company. Uh, and I don't think they're as connecting the whole world as, as they were previously. I think people are communicating over text uh, and other mediums. So it used to be Facebook was, uh, in terms of bang for your buck, the best, ways to, the best way to, to place advertising dollars. What, what do you think is the best way to place advertising dollars now? I think, the, I think what's going to evolve is that if you think of an ad, so right now on Facebook or Instagram, what's, a, what's an ad? Hey, here's my new Allbirds. Go click them, buy them. Like, here's my new Shopify product, whatever. That's okay. I think actually the new ad format is the influencer uh, because if you have someone like myself or anyone that has some influence or wants to have influence in different categories, that is a much more compelling ad format uh, that can repeat on and can tell you this is shitty or this is great. Uh, like I just got a bunch of these free Huel, H-U-E-L. It's like a Soylent competitor. And so they may pay me to talk about it. I'm like, yo, this shit sucks or this shit is great. And I actually find the... YouTube site and the YouTube amount of people so much bigger for, for a promoter uh, as well for a brand. And so I think a lot of that money is going to go into like influencer spend and then just like video creation spend. We're just, I'm just not seeing on Facebook as much anymore. It's specifically the amount of people available to advertise uh, in the different businesses that we're doing. It's becoming expensive. Yeah. And I, I and also engagement is or organic engagement is way down on Facebook. I mean, I don't know if that's measured. That's Dude, just, it's, it's fucking, it's, it's shit. Dude, YouTube brings you all the audience and it hosts your video for free and then they pay you. So I, I think as a brand creator, if you have products, you should be making videos on YouTube or giving them out to influencers. And if you don't have a job, go make some fucking YouTube videos for the next few years. So, so I, I have also people telling me the exact same thing about TikTok. So what's your Fuck TikTok? So all right. <laughs> take a step back. Two things. Number one, I th you can get an advantage in any platform from a marketing perspective or a content creator when you're early. That's just that's just a bar none. I've never seen anything that's proven that otherwise. Like if you were the first to do ads on Facebook or the ads on Reddit or do TikTok early, you might have an advantage to get something cheaper or build up an audience easier. The thing that I've observed is you can get famous or rich probably in any medium. But as you said yourself, your organic reach on Facebook is down. And I, there's only two channels that I've ever seen in the past probably 10 years that brings real audience and significant amount of revenue and business. Number one is YouTube. YouTube, 80% of my video traffic on YouTube is brand new people that YouTube has gifted to me. And the second channel that's the most powerful channel uh, that everyone should be thinking about is their email list. Yes, Those are the email list obviously is, that was the best decision of my life ever to, to start, uh, well. Wow. Best is, no way, best no, decision of your best, life? Not the What's, best, not the best. What is the best decision of your life you'd say? Uh, ha having children and marrying my, my current wife. <laughs> was that your, was that your current wife who came on? Uh, no, that was one of my children. <laughs> so unfortunately. <laughs> I, I don't know, dude, I, James, you do some interesting stuff. That's interesting. Those are your two best decisions ever. Yeah. Because you know, if you're, and, and I can even connect the dots between the reverse decisions and going broke, which is that if you're all day long arguing with a spouse or a girlfriend or anxious about your relationships, you're not going to have the, the focus, the energy, the creativity to, to start a business and do the things you love. That's just, for me, that's just, and for many people, I think that's just reality. Hmm. So that's why I always build, like to build a foundation of health, emotional health, creativity, 
you know, spiritual health. And from that foundation, I can do anything. But if you don't have those things, you're going to just uh, waste too much energy is going to go down the toilet. And you need energy, right? To, to do a business. You need focus, passion, energy. I think it's interesting to notice the energy levels in all of our things in life. Like which foods are giving me energy, which people give yeah. me energy, which people yeah. suck the energy, which activities like liven me up. 100% because, you know, you ever have a friend who you like the friend and you admire them, but when you're in a room with them, you just feel like all the air is sucked out of the room. And, you know, you can't spend that much time with people like that. And if they're a bad person on top of it, you could spend zero time with them <laughs> or else you won't have the energy to do your thing. I, I signed my will last week. And wow. they, why'd you do that? Uh, you dying? I'm not well. We're all dying technically. I my wealth. I have a wealth advisor, and they're like, "Yeah, it's good to get that in place in case anything happens." I was like, "That's fair," but I, what was fascinating for me more about it was, "Oh shit, I really am gonna probably die. I don't have to die, but if I ended up dying, and then it also kind of encouraged me to live." I was like, "Well, shit, why don't I use all this money and all these things now and and benefit the world even more?" But I I think it it makes us mindful of how we're giving away our time for free. Like someone yesterday was talking to me and I was like, I don't want to fucking talk to you. I don't want to hear what you have to fucking say. Not that I'm better or worse than him. Uh, I just wanted to do other things. And I, and I think we're just, maybe young, when you're younger, it's easier. But when you're older, like you should be fucking protective of this stuff. Yeah, like, I agree. Like, like sometimes I feel like I'm, you know, in a situation where I'm wasting time and I get so internally frustrated. I'm almost like about to cry. Like I need to like get the hell out of here or I'm going to just combust. But I want to I want to take a step back to my one of my original thoughts which is that can you start a like all the YouTube businesses you describe oh this guy started making three videos 10 years ago can you start a YouTube business right now and start even making a business or making a living fairly quickly yes so it let me be clear a living is is relative depends on what your lifestyle is so i believe with YouTube you could probably make $1,000. I would say what I've observed is about $1,000 a month in 12 months. Hmm. So you can also do the math and work backwards from like, if you're talking about different topics. So most channels get about an $8 CPM. So for every thousand views, you make eight bucks. Business related channels make between 40 and $50 CPM, uh, which is much better. So you can do the math. I don't do it right now, but how many views you actually need. And then that gives you a target of what you need to do uh, to make your $1,000 a month. An See, example, $8 CPM is like a podcast CPM might be 30 or 40 bucks. Yeah. And a business. So like my channel, let me pull it up right now. I'll tell you what my CPM is. Well, I was going to give you, give you some examples. So one is this guy named Trent Dressel. He's a uh, he's subscriber to my channel. He came out of my office hours when we were talking and he had this channel and it was all over the place. And he, I was like, what's your day job? He's like, oh, I'm a, an account executive at a startup in Chicago. I was like, why don't you just make videos about being 23, I think it's 23 or 24, and about how you got your sales job, how you make six figures doing it. Because I can't compete with you on that. I'm almost 40. I'm not in a sales job. And I've, I'm living a different life. And that's where I'm going to talk about because that's where I can win. And so his channel has slowly been starting to pick up. And you can see that like his views were at like 30 views a video. And now it's getting 100 views a video. Uh, and so I think for him in 12 months, I would be shocked if he's not doing uh, – I don't want $1,000 a month, if not even much higher than that. But, you know, like right now we live in a, a unique time, which I suppose every time is a unique time. But, you know, there's sure. a there's 128 million. There were 128 million jobs in the U.S. And over the past seven months, something like 50 or 55 million people have filed for uninsur unemployment insurance. Now, that doesn't mean 55 million people are currently unemployed. 
but that's a pretty serious number. And a lot of these people are saying, looking around saying, boy, that job thing wasn't as stable as I thought, but I have to make a living. Like uh, Noah's saying all these great businesses are on YouTube and I, I, I love fly fishing or chess or whatever. I want to make a living too, uh, without being reliant on a, on a job that could fire me any day. You know, how do they react? I mean, and again, the best time is to start today or 10 years ago, but maybe the best time is not to start at all. If it's going to take me 55 years to, to make a living. I had a, f a friend of mine, uh, I was texting with two weeks ago and he's like, Hey, I need to make $6,000 a month. And I was like, I don't, I just don't know how to do that. I've never been able to do that. And all of my wealth is created over longer periods of time. Uh, I yeah. think there are ways to make quick money. So one, I was like, yo, you can deal drugs. Two, I think the stupidest, easiest business that anyone can do instantly is go sell all of your friends shit. No matter where you're in the world, all your friends have a bunch of garbage. Like example, I have a bike in my shed. I would text a friend. I said, hey, do you want to get this bike, sell it, and I'll give you a percent of it? So that's what they're doing today. So that's number one. If you want to start a business, you could do that. And then that will lead you to ideas and momentum for other things. Another yeah, thing that I, ever, I agree with that. Yeah, another thing. you can Anyone can go deliver food. That's totally accessible. Because I think what, what, I've, from what I've observed from all the entrepreneurs I've helped and from all the things I've started and failed, if you are trying to start a business and make a lot of money right away, you're under a fuck ton of pressure and you don't have a lot of oxygen. So I, I recommend get some foundational shit in there. So go drive for Uber, go do DoorDash, go do Grubhub. Get basic like necessities covered, and then you could go get crazier on this other stuff with YouTube, wherever it is. But you know, how can you make money? Um, how much money can you make combining like Uber, Grubhub, you know, these kind of you know, Grubdub. yeah, the, the so-called <laughs> side hustle industry, which I don't even like that word side hustle anymore. But yeah. how how much can you make from from the side hustle industry? Per, per I, I don't think that's where you're gonna. It. I don't think that's how you're gonna make the big money. No, no, you're not going to get the big money, but it's to your point of like getting the necess necessities. I, I think care you're going to have to look, one. You need to figure out how do you reduce your cost of living to somewhere that's really low. Like I'm a multimillionaire, and I still have an insanely low cost of living relatively uh, compared to other people at my level. Like I live in an 800 square foot house. My like one of my cars that I drive. I'm giving away my Tesla uh, as part of our AppSumo Black Friday. Uh, one of my cars is a Miata. It's a 2004 Miata. Some people have lifestyle inflation, which is a whole separate story. But anyways, wherever you are in life. Reduce your cost of living. Live. I lived with my parents for three years out of school. Um, and so if you reduce your cost of living, make you can make one or two Gs easy doing any of these delivery businesses and then start planting the seeds. Like plant your seeds on doing a YouTube channel. Another way if you want to get... Uh, here's one thing I've, I have seen about how to get rich quicker on YouTube. Let's say you're not the star. Go to any of these channels that are rising or trending or look like they're getting popular that are not doing a great job and go be their manager. So what I've seen, one example of that is Mr. Beast's manager. His name is Reed D. This guy was unemployed, working in Vegas. He basically just tried to apply to every single agency in LA, got rejected. And ultimately, he found, oh, shit, YouTube's getting big. Why don't I go to these YouTubers who don't know how to any fucking idea about business, but they're super creatives, and I'll run all their business stuff for them. I'll set up their website. I'll get their email. I'll do the negotiations. I'll do the brand sponsorships. And now, I don't know how much he's making personally. Uh, but he's managing some of the biggest YouTube stars out there. And it's like, oh, well, you can do that for any of these YouTubers. From anyone who's small that's not doing something correctly, you can email them. Every YouTuber gives out their email on the about section. So if you go to the YouTube channel, click about, has their email address, or use an Instagram and slide in their DMs. Hit them up. Be like, hey, here's three things I see you're missing on your on your site. You don't have an email list. You haven't done this affiliate deal. I could get you this sponsorship. Uh, do you want to talk about maybe helping me be your business manager? That is oh. a way you could probably make a G or a lot more within a month. 
okay. I, you know, here's, here's, let's break that one down because I, sure. I love that idea. YouTube manager. So for one thing, a services business is the easiest business to start, not to sell, can't sell a services business because all your assets walk out the door at the end of the day. But, you know, like you said, I can call a, the local dentist and say, Hey, I see you're not using Instagram, YouTube, LinkedIn, TikTok, uh, Facebook, whatever. I could quadruple your revenues by, you know, putting great content on all these channels and then spending a small ad budget uh, to targeting your local community and boom, you're, you're going to win. And if you don't, you just fire me and I charge you a small amount. And then you could scale that by basically taking the same template and, and doing with dentists all around the country. So the same thing with this YouTube manager idea, that is a brilliant idea to, to, to get started. And then as you provide more and more services, maybe you notice some services you could productize like a SaaS kind of thing. And now you have a product company and your value, the value of your business itself goes up. I think there's there's many different there's unlimited ways of making money. There's unlimited money out there for the people that want to take it. It's just are you willing to put in the work for it? And so for within YouTube specifically, where I've spent a lot of my time this year, you can either be the creator or you can go support the creators. It's kind of mm -hmm. like either you're the star or you're you know maybe you do animation or you figure out ways that you can be you know either you sell the iPhone or you sell the cases. But how did the, how did how did Mr. Beast YouTube man? I mean, that guy gets like what seventy million views or something, or seventy billion views. So, and he's twenty two years old. How did how did Mr. Beast? Um, how did his manager? What did he manage? Well, that's actually really fascinating. So, I lately I've been calling myself just to myself the YouTube Whisperer, uh, and I didn't really think about this, but a lot of these YouTubers, one, they love making videos and they're creatives. And I didn't really I don't know a lot about the LA scene. I've been in Silicon Valley and Austin uh, my whole career. But creatives, guess what they're good at, great at doing, James? Creating. Creating! <laughs> About making money? They fucking suck. Right? They don't, all of them have, almost none of them have email lists. Very few of them have products. Very few of them actually have like a sales team or a sponsorship team to actually help get direct integrations or activations is what the YouTubers called, which is just a sponsorship. None of them really have teams around it. A lot of these guys, just to give you an example, they do their own editing. They do a lot of their own like social media postings and that is because they're creatives. And they're like, oh, well, yeah, I should do it. And it's like, well, you know, if you paid someone for that, you could actually spend your time just being more creative, which is what you love to do. And that's just something that I was a little surprised that they don't have that support. Yeah. And so, 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 oh, okay. So I see this. The manager says to Mr. Beast, listen, you keep doing videos. I'm going to figure out how to build your email list. I'm going to figure out how to get sponsors. So it's outside of the YouTube ad ecosystem. I'm going to see how your, your, your en very engaged audience could become truly your audience as opposed to yeah. YouTube's, you know, YouTube being the intermediary of that audience and so on. So I could see, so a YouTube manager has plays a, a, a valuable role for, for someone who's a super creative. So, so, so using a manager and, and being a super creative, there might be then ways to, to more quickly make money. But, but I, I guess this transitions into some of the businesses that you described and the methods they used to create YouTube based businesses. Cause I thought they were genius and you described why would I keep thinking five, but I think it might've been 10. Yeah, like you it was five, dude. It was five. So, so you, you described five businesses in a recent YouTube video, um, that made YouTube businesses. Uh, do you want to talk about those a little bit? Yeah. I mean, these are, I'll put the businesses to be specific for, for the audience out there. I think well, one I particularly loved, which was, um, Eric Rosen's chess business. Oh, I love his business, dude. He's, he's making good money from this. How much I, is he making? Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he's doing around six figures. 
Yeah, okay. That's decent for a chess player. Dude, he gets to play chess. He's playing chess all day and not, you know, and making money from doing that? Yeah. He's a young I, guy, I, international master, is very strong. Yeah, he's a really good chess. I love watching him. I watch him all the time. I think what's interesting about YouTube is either A, you're the star and you just go and do your hobby with it, or B, you create a product. Like I, I talked to a buddy, his brother is the top YouTuber for e-bikes and he has an e-bike store. I was like, oh, it's kind of interesting. So no matter what business you have out there, there's some, it, you know, at AppSumo.com just as well. It's like, probably makes sense if you, if you don't want to be a, a content creator, create videos for your main business. And there's good ways to do that. And there's not great. I think that's a great way to grow a business. So some of the, the channels that I, that I kind of highlighted uh, in one of my recent videos uh, on uh, the OK Dork YouTube channel was one is uh, Rastafarian Cooking. I, I just thought this is crazy. These guys are making full-time living. And I know Matt, uh, I think Matt does, he's probably in the five figures for, for income. I think that you have to be careful about revenue versus income. Uh, so he does well, Roz's What's his YouTube channel? So Roz's Kitchen is a YouTube channel where Matt is a Canadian, super friendly guy, obviously, because he's Canadian. And so he flew to Jamaica, met a dude named Roz, and then basically just films Roz cooking Rastafarian food, hanging out in Jamaica and smoking weed. And it's a damn, it's a gorgeous show uh, that now Matt Matt loves doing it. I've, I've been talking to him for years. And so it's been awesome to see him uh, turn that into a career. I can't find the channels. R-A-Z? R-A-S. Oh, Ross Kitchen. It's Ross. I honestly, Ross, the, the main star of the show, I have no fucking clue what he's saying because I can't understand him. But I think that is a perfect example of if you don't want to be the star of the show, you just find someone who's a star and then you be their producer. So, okay, so he has 566,000 subscribers, 385 videos. So he, he matches your, your rule of 100. And how much do you think he's making? I was thinking probably around five figures. And so, so what's he selling? So the way that they make money... So what they're selling, the entertainment they sell, is Rastafarian cooking and lifestyle. So smoking weed, cooking dishes, hanging out in Jamaica. That, that's all their content. It's gorgeous. Um, the ways that they make money, you could pull it up on, on their site. Number one, they actually Airbnb out the, the huts that they live on in Jamaica, which I thought was really creative. I thought that was like, oh, that's, that's kind of cool. They do follow some of the, I would say, standard practices of YouTube monetization, which is YouTube ads, Amazon affiliate links, and then crappy merch. So a lot of these guys use teespring.com and then they throw up, you know, t-shirts and stuff like that. Uh, I don't think they're getting as much into like direct sponsorships. I don't know how many people want to sponsor a Rastafarian channel, maybe, maybe smoke shops or something like that. Uh, but they follow the, the Airbnb is kind of the more unique one. And then they follow kind of like, I'd say the standardized template, uh, that a lot of the guys, the other guys do. Why not, um, a cookbook? I dude, see, this is the difference. I think Matt is a filmmaker. Ross is a, a Rastafarian and there's not a business person there. So like if you were right. there as their partner or their advisor or their manager, I think it's a fucking great idea. That's actually, you know, the idea. other thing is, is all these like, um, you know, we cook for you and the, uh, these delivery cook services or, the, you know, they could even mail them out, which a lot of people use during the quarantine. Like I use them where every week I got, you know, meals for a week from a, a company, um, you know, that would focus on healthy food, uh, vegetarian food and so on. And they could do that. Dude, that's awesome. No, that's great. Or they could create their own spices. Yeah. Like they could create their own product. And I think they have some of that in their merch, merch store. But let me, I pulled up my list of them. So, they make money in five ways. Stay with them on Airbnb, YouTube ads, affiliate links. They do have a merch store, but mostly it's like shirts and hats and stickers. And then lastly, they do Patreon. I see a lot of these YouTubers doing Patreon. and I Patreon I, is awesome, by the way. Really? I don't, I don't use it, but I've seen this in the podcast world. I know one friend of mine 
has gone from zero a year ago, well, maybe a year and a half ago, and now he's making 60000 a month with 11,000 patrons on Patreon. Okay. Plus I, he has ads. I hate Patreon. Okay, hate's a strong word. I dislike Patreon as a business, as a business for the individuals. I don't think it's, I think it's not what people should be doing. Okay, tell me, because I don't use Patreon, but I've been, I've admired how some of these people now make a living from Patreon and it's independent from the YouTube ads. So I think YouTube is for getting your audience and your email list and your products are for making your money. And because YouTube, you're dependent if they show your video, like they stop, they our videos went down by half, which means my ad revenue went down by half. And if you're a creator, it's like, holy shit, I'm at the mercy of these guys and girls. So you, I do think you have to get your email list up and you could use MailChimp or sendfox.com or whatever tool you want to use. With uh, Patreon, let, let's just, let's just reflect it. So why have, if this guy's making 60,000 a month, that's crazy, James. Why haven't you started one? Well, you know why? And, and this is the reason I'm sure why you don't like it is that I don't like having any of my content behind a subscription wall. Yeah. Yeah, and that's and what then, Patreon is. And and but by the way, then you have to then you have to start right from the beginning making really good content when you have as soon as you have one Patreon subscriber. So, I think where Patreon's going to evolve to, which actually could be a potentially big business is is privatized communities. So, instead of a Facebook group, it's a private paid membership group where you can be a part of a community. And I think they're evolving more to that. There's other competitors that are starting. Yeah, well, Facebook is a competitor because like are you on Trends? No, I'm not, but they have a private Facebook group too, right? They, their private Facebook group is awesome. Are you on Podcasters Paradise? That John Lee Dumas makes, you know, it's $2,000 to join. They got thousands of subscribers. It's a paid community. So I think Patreon will move to that. I think Patreon right now or in the early stages was, hey, be it, it, it felt like panhandling to me is the way I looked at it. It was like, hey, mm -hmm. donate $3 for my content. And I think if it's like, hey, here's a private community where I don't have to create another video, which I'm already doing all day, uh, I like that as an approach for their business. But for the most part, if you look at the amount of money a lot of these guys make, so your guy is making 60 Gs a month. How how many, how big is his audience or her audience? Um, it's hard to say. Uh, well, you know, he has 11,000 subscribers on Patreon, on YouTube. He, uh, and he's, he's a comedian. He's um, Tim, Tim Dillon, one of my favorite up and coming. And he's really up and coming in the sense that a year and a half ago, he was always a great comedian, but then his, subscribers started going up and his Patreons started going up. So he's 160,000 subscribers on YouTube, but he's also got a podcast. So he's probably got, you know, a hundred thousand or so subscribers on the podcast. I think it's not, I don't say, Hey, Patreon. I think it's worth trying out. I think it's okay for people. I don't want to do it because I think there's better ways of making money from either like creating a private community directly, creating your own products. If you take Matt Diavella, he's like one of the top YouTubers uh, for making videos. He's makes some of the, my favorite videos. If you watch Matt Diavella, the guy's amazing. Matt has over 2 million subscribers. And on his Patreon, I think he has, I don't know, a few thousand Patreons. It ends up looking, if you do your own back of the envelope math, he makes like $150,000 a year from Patreon. Oh my God. By the way, titles are everything. This uh, title on his latest video, I wore the same shirt every day for three years. Uh, boom, I have to watch that video. I watch it. Well, I, again, I think that's why there's going to be a, bit, a lot of businesses and careers either through software or through individuals about these titles and thumbnails. They're everything. Here's a title. I have anxiety. Boom. Uh, Matt's phenomenal. But, dude, look at this. So Matt's got 2 million YouTube subscribers, and he only has 1,000 patrons between 4 and 12 bucks a month. So if you do the math, the guy's making 100 Gs from it, which is, yes, that's amazing. But then you have to realize this guy is at one of the elite levels of YouTube. And so... 
I, I think just people have to be mindful where, where Patreon goes wrong for me is how do you not make it feel like a donation and how do you make it actually feel like an exchange of value? Like I get a community, I'm getting well, a product. Well, well, that's just it. Like, let's say you set up a Patreon. The first question people are going to ask like, oh, I thought Noah was rich. Why does he need me to give him $10 a month? Yes. You know, and by the way, that's the wrong question. That's why those people are probably not rich because any idea is ultimately validated by whether it's profitable or not. So you should, you should always ask money for anything. Not always. I mean, sometimes you want to give away free for various reasons. And, and I like to give away for free, but it shouldn't ruin your brand of being wealthy to ask for money. That's why you're wealthy is because you're asking for money on occasion at the right points. I, I mean, I think my coffee challenge has gotten really famous because of that. It's the power of asking for discounts, getting rejected and realizing you're still alive and moving forward. By the way, you gave me that challenge in 2014. I remember it and I did it that day. And I've been repeating that challenge ever since. And by oh. the way, and, and I'm married now, so I don't do it now in this way, but on a date, if you give that challenge, it is amazing because if they, wow, if they like get, like if I say, let's do it right now, you do it. And if, and if they get the discount and by the way, a, a beautiful woman will always get that 10% discount. Then it's, then they're like amazed. It's like some, it's like this magic power. They didn't know they had, and it's something you've been through with them. So it kind of, you know, quickens the, uh, getting to know each other phase is an amazing, the 10% challenge is very powerful for various reasons. <laughs> I think the coffee challenge is great. The um, coffee challenge. And well, on that same vein, which I find hysterical, I was hanging out with the Nick Akonis. He's the founder, one of the founders of Alinea, one of the best restaurants in the world. And he was telling me about this shit, this outdoor awning he was buying and how he asked for a discount. And I was like, aren't you rich? Like, why are you asking for a discount? And he's like, this is why I'm rich. <laughs> well, okay. Let me tell you a story. Cause I've been doing, I do Bring the 10% yeah. challenge all, all the time, or, you know, I call it the 10% challenge. You call it the coffee challenge. I was in home Depot and this is like four or five years ago. I bought like $178 worth of bullshit from home Depot. And I asked, I did exactly what you did. I said, Hey, can I have 10% off? And you know, and then you're just silent after that, <laughs> like no explanation, whatever. But she did ask, she's like, um, are you a senior citizen? And I said, well, um, you know, I guess at the time I was 47 or 48. I said, well, I'm 47. Is that a senior citizen? And she's like, hmm, I don't know. And so she gets on, you know, that microphone they have in the store, you know, that, that she has on her ear. And she's like, hello, manager, manager. Cause she needed to ask if 47 was considered a senior citizen. And the guy didn't answer. And she was like, oh, I guess you're a senior citizen. And so I got like $17 off on that purchase. <laughs> Uh, where was the original point of like rich people asking for things? Patreon. Patreon. I, it that's how I guess Patreon feels to me. It's like it does feel like I'm just holding out a hand, asking for money, which I, I I just don't think is nice. I, don't, I, don't I agree like with it. you. What it's do like, I feel I see about Kickstarter? Street out here in Austin, in Austin, we've got like homeless uh, fucking cities, and I'm like, yo, if you can walk and talk and be normal, go get a fucking job. I think it's disrespectful to the construction workers and the people of fucking America who are working their asses off to try to survive while you're sitting on your fucking ass putting a hand out. I don't like it. Especially if, if you're capable. And I feel like yeah. that's what Patreon feels like historically. But I think if it's moving into maybe a community private, like you're talking about trends and uh, podcast paradise, that's awesome. And I think that's that's hopefully where people will take it. I, I agree with you. But the, first off, as a, as a consumer of great content, I like being able to contribute on Patreon. And in and, and, and almost a selfish way, I like people knowing that I am supporting what they're doing and that I'm a fan of what they're doing. 
And so I, I actually have a, quite a few uh, uh, content creators that I support on Patreon. The other thing is, is that, uh, you know, I, I do agree that it's, it's, it's too much pressure to create more content if you have a Patreon for a relatively small audience compared to your overall audience. So I do not like that. If, if I'm creating content, there needs to be either more money or I'm getting lots of new subscribers or readers or listeners or users or whatever. So that, that aspect of Patreon, I agree as a, if I was going to use it to make money, I would not do it for that reason. Yeah. And look, I think at the end of the day, everyone should do whatever they want and try it out. I think what I've just observed is like, there's ways to make the easier and more effective ways to make money. It doesn't seem like Patreon is it right now. Uh, straight, strictly on the, Hey, either just donate to me or now I have to do a bunch more content for you. And I'm not actually relatively making a lot of money. So what I mean by that is like Matt Diavella, he might do it and he might love it. So it's awesome for him. I'm not hating on it. But with the amount of attention and the and how amazing of a creator he is, I think there's other ways he could monetize his audience or create just a private community straight up uh, to grow a much larger business with probably less amount of work. So he could create software, he could create products, he could create uh, the community aspect and not have to create a new video every week just for these people. Why don't you be his business manager and take a cut on all these different business ideas? He's got the 3 million subscribers. He's going to make money. You're going to make a lot of money. Um, it's an interesting thought. Let's say you make a million from him and you do this five times and you're making 5 million a year. I'm, I'm making numbers up, but I have confidence you yeah. can do it. Well, it's interesting you say that. I was talking with, uh, there's another channel the, that we featured. It's called Legal Eagle. And oh, yeah, you mentioned that in your video. Yeah, this, so I did talk to him about it, about being his uh, business advocate. And uh, it might be something I, I'd try out. I don't know, man. I just, I guess I've been so focused on AppSumo uh, and our businesses and then just kind of making videos for fun that I haven't really thought of it as a new career. And, and by the way, you do a good job on those videos. I like the the, the production value. I, I kind of think production value is correlated with um, uh, uh, subscribers and views per, per video and shares per video. But like, so what, what are, so again, using, I, I, I like this idea, all the YouTube businesses that you described in your video, to me, use this spoken wheel approach where the concept, like for Legal Eagle, the concept is that he's going to, um, be a legal expert on these popular uh, things that people are debating legally. Like, you know, President Trump tax fraud is one of his, his uh, most recent videos. And so that's the wheel is his legal knowledge on popular items. And then YouTube's a spoke and maybe for all I know, he has other spokes, but it seems like with all the businesses you described, YouTube ads were a spoke, affiliate links were a spoke, courses were a spoke, coaching's a spoke, books mm. are a spoke, you know, so, so what are, what are some of these other YouTube businesses and, and their most successful spokes? So for the legal Eagle, the, he does this, a lot of the standard stuff that most YouTubers do. I'd say the two things that, that he's moving to the more advanced or professional level of YouTube, uh, would be creating your own uh, courses. So he actually has courses on getting into law school and courses on copywriting, especially if he has a lot of legal people watching it or potential lawyers. So I think the courses is a great model. You can use teachable.com or Udemy or Skillshare. Uh, to create a course or and then the second thing that he has done is the, the br direct brand sponsorships so when you get youtube revenue so i just looked up my cpm i mean i get a 50 dollars cpm on my youtube channel that's great um and so i'm getting somewhere between two to four thousand dollars a month of revenue based on the amount of views we have which is great it's it's nice but then i'm dependent on youtube and you have to realize if, if i'm making that much youtube's probably making at least 50 percent, if not more of that right 
And so where you can make significant money, like Alpha M is a, one, a very popular channel. He does direct sponsorships. So that's what Legal Legal does as well, uh, where you basically either have a sales team, which is what I'd recommend, or a business manager, uh, or put it out there like, hey, I'm looking for direct sponsorships. And it's basically like, you know, Manscaped or Huel or whatever company just does a direct buy within your video. Uh, and so we've actually tested that uh, via AppSumo. Like we've sponsored Nick Nimmons, who's a popular, uh, he teaches how to do YouTube. And those actually perform phenomenally well. Uh, and also, you get paid as a creator, you get all of the money directly versus, you know, whatever cut YouTube decides to give you. Plus, you can, honestly, at the end of the day, you, you said it yourself, James, doing that, you can control it. I can control how many people I contact to sponsor me. I can't control how much views uh, or how much CPMs YouTube decides to bless me with each day. Right. Like the more you're in control and, uh, and get rid of middlemen, the more money you're going to make. Or I call it middle woman, middle people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, just you're like, so politically correct. Ah, fuck, dude. I, I, let's not go there. Uh, I, I think that's what I've, I guess in my career, I've kissed so much ass and I've been so dependent and I've been fired and I've had my businesses banned by Facebook. I've had, I've been sued by our largest competitors. I've just had a bunch of shit. And I think when I started AppSumo, I was like, how do I not kiss any more ass? That's so important, by the way. Yeah, but go ahead. No, 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 that's it, dude. I just like, how do I take the fucking power back? And it's not that I wanted to be in control. I didn't want to be, it's not that I wanted power over others. It wasn't like, I need to fucking, I need all this ego shit. I was just like, I want to stop being at the fucking mercy. I don't want to blame coronavirus. That's a modern example. I don't want to blame that the virus fucked my business. And so I think it's being aware like, hey, if the virus fucked your business, it wasn't that valuable of a fucking business. It wasn't. It's if true. That I think it could fuck you over that quickly. Like either you're not adaptive or you weren't that important. I think I think the virus exposed a lot of the fragility in kind of the economic system we have. So so jobs turned out to be a lot more fragile than people thought, and a lot of businesses are going to go out of business. So, but let's just let's say you know there's this concept that if you love something and you're passionate about it, you should be able to make money out of it. I don't quite agree with the ten year rule, but 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 that you have it takes ten years to get rich. But maybe I do because you're, you, you've also spent years building your skills, your expertise, and, and so on. But let's say you love, I'm going to make it up. You're, let's say you're 40 years old and you love basketball. And uh, you're never going to be a professional basketball player. But how would you monetize a passion in basketball right now? All right. So here's exactly what you should go do. Go on. You can do this right now. Here, go, go with me. Um, go to YouTube. Click on Trending. On the right, left I'm gonna, side. I'm, I'm going to go right now. So right. YouTube trending. All right. And then what you're going to do is, and this is what we did with our channel, and, and this, this is how you do it in basketball. Take all the top trending that's probably not a music video and make oh a list. Oh, my God. Of, and this, the, the second thing, by the way, on my trending is NBA young boy. I don't know who that is. It's some rapper. rapper. But, ju but just rap. the word NBA in there starts to, starts to show me something. But go ahead. So then take a list of the top 20 trending on YouTube. So the top trending now, I'll just read it off for the podcasters. Surprising best friend with Borat. I made a viral TikTok song. Um, I did my makeup horribly to see how my friends would react. Prank. Uh, I'm looking for ones that are not music videos. Right. Fine, uh, and that are not direct vlogs. iPhone 12 unboxing experience. Giant versus tiny food challenge. Uh, and so what <laughs> I'm looking for, I don't know if you're, you're, gonna, you're starting to see what I'm doing. Yeah. I'm basically looking for videos that I can copy within my category. So is there an unboxing thing with basketball I can copy? Unboxing the new Jordan shoe. Is there a challenge? Oh, oh my like, God. Like for, think of this giant versus tiny. You take the, 
the tallest basketball player dunking, and then you take the smallest basketball player who's ever dunked, and you just show videos of those situations over and over again, boom, that's amazing. Yeah, that's exactly it. There's a lot of channels that are getting really popular. I, I don't know if I love them because I think they go away pretty easily. They're like the affiliate marketing of, of YouTube videos where you just take clips of everybody else's stuff. Like, here's Jeff Bezos talking, and you're, like, putting it together. I think those kind of come and go easier versus having a personality or having a, a relationship with your audience. Right, but, like, if you're a fan of basketball and you do, like, I'm just making this up, but if you – by the way, I'm not a fan of basketball, but I did, that's why I just made it up. Um, but if you do this giant versus tiny and do, like, a 10-minute a, a video of – just giant basketball players dunking followed by tiny basketball players dunking. I think that's going to get shared a billion times. Like I would watch that even though I hate basketball. So I, I think that's my point. That's what we're doing with our channel, which is like, hey, what are all the most popular people doing? What do their thumbnails look like? What are the titles? And then how do I do it? You know, our categories is entrepreneurship journey. And so how do we do it within that? So, uh, so do you, using your technique, tell me a video you would do. So some of the videos that we're doing, let me, I'm going to, give me a second. I'm no, gonna but, pull up. but just use this trending technique. Oh, okay. Uh, some of the videos that we're doing, Surprising Friends with Borat, we're not going to do that. I made a viral TikTok song. Uh, so it would be something like, how do I make a viral business? Or like, or yeah. I would try to talk about, hey, here's viral businesses I've seen recently. Like, oh, yeah, I, so I found the latest five viral businesses. Like, what's an example of a viral business? What's one I've seen recently? Well, well, all the ones you just talked about before. I mean, on but... YouTubers, stuff like that. But I, would, I think I'd be thinking more about products. Yeah. So, like, what are different products that have gone viral? Like, Allbirds. Uh... What's Allbirds? Really? No, no, Allbirds? Let me see. I, I'm sure you it's something huge, but I never leave my room, so. Um, oh, better shoes. Okay. Yeah, Allbirds no are, wonder like, I haven't, I, haven't bought, I haven't bought a new pair of shoes in, like, 17 years, so. Yeah. Uh, so, that's one video. It'd be, like, here's five viral businesses I've seen recently. Uh, let me see iPhone 12 unboxing experience. So right here, it's like iPhone 12 is a super trending, popular topic. And most video YouTube videos, which is fascinating, they get they get watched and then die. Very few have evergreen. Um, so you can try to do either like the uh, ride the wave, like let me just hit it once, or hopefully, which I honestly have not had luck in almost 100 videos this year, not had a lot of evergreen videos. Uh, so it is just like get stuff that's going to be popular for the moment. So you could do iPhone 12 marketing analysis. So, like, how did the iPhone 12 do their marketing? Uh, I'm looking at the iPhone 12 unboxing experience. Yeah, or maybe, like, 17 reasons the iPhone 12 is shit. Yeah, something Because if so many people want to see the um, 8.6 million people viewed the unboxing experience, if you say, hey, this is, the wor this is like, worse than the, you know, iPhone 1, you probably get some percentage of this watching, watching that video. Uh, I think that's awesome. Let me look for a few other recently trending... Uh, so here's this is a Mr. Beast. He's one of my favorites. I filled my brother's house with slime and bought him a new one. So if you think about it, what, what's the formula? What's the formula he's doing? I did something crazy and then replaced it. So right, so, so gross plus excessive uh, charity, a multi-million dollar charity from, from a kid. Yeah, I mean, so with that example, it could be like I bought my friend's company for a dollar and I ended up selling it for a hundred thousand dollars. So it's copying kind of the formula that's working for these popular ones in whatever category you're on. Uh, I love it. Let me find I another. Love that. These are kind of interesting. I mean, this is what we're doing on our side, which most of my videos, I would say 60 to 7%, it's just like I get excited about an idea. But the videos that we just kind of copy this formula, uh, 
they've done well. So one video we did was like how I make over a million dollars a year uh, living in Austin. One is how do I spend over a million, like how do I spend my money after I make all this? So basically these are videos that have already been popular. I'm not having to do a lot of work to figure it out. So we, we do a formula called FFR. And so in our videos, it's FFR, which is fast. Can I make these videos fast? Because YouTube rewards basically output and what they call upload minutes. So can I make them over and over and over? Uh, two, is it fun, right? Am I going to enjoy it? Because the audience won't enjoy it if we don't. And then two is repeatable. So you want to be making these videos. So like the one you were talking about, if you go to youtube.com, okay, dork, we made a video saying, here's five YouTubers that are getting rich. I can do those type of videos because guess what? There's fucking hundreds of thousands of YouTubers. I can do that repeatably. So we try to do fast videos that we can crank out, fun videos in R. So we try to make sure that it's uh, those three things when we make our videos. Because I was doing a yeah. lot of these fucking one-off videos, which is really hard to do. And look, a lot of your videos, um, there's a kind of a specificity. So how I grew my YouTube channel to 85,000 subscribers, $50 million from email marketing. I'm worth 10 million. Uh, how I make over 1 million a year. Start a million dollar business this weekend. So so I like the specificity too, uh, is very important. And then here, why I walked out on Tony Robbins, that's not specific, but that's a story that the millions of people who sign up for his seminars would want to listen to. Um, how do you start? Uh, by the way, I haven't seen this one, but how do you start a million? Oh, the other thing I noticed about your videos, by the way, is everyone tells me, you know, eight to 15 minutes is the sweet spot for the size of a YouTube video. And you largely stay within that. Um, so I'm going to show you, I'll send you a screenshot of this. Um, what we, what's interesting to look at is what you get rewarded with. And when you're on a platform, YouTube, TikTok, wherever it is, you're trying to grow an audience, you have to serve the God. And the God has an algorithm where what is their interest? They don't give a fuck about me. They don't even know Noah. They just know that I'm some zeros and ones that upload. And then they say, well, how much time are he, how much time is he getting an audience on our, on our site? Cause that's how we make money. And the more time he gets people on our site, more money we make and the more we're going to show his ass. So lately, uh, what we've been optimizing towards is just overall quality upload minutes a week. And so quality up, if you upload, so we've tried experience where we uploaded just a bunch of shitty videos. Like it was, they're good, but they're just, it was long. Cause we're like, oh, we'll upload a lot of minutes. So YouTube so like, no, nah, no, nah, that's not good. So we actually didn't get a lot of watch time. We lost subscribers based on that. And so if you put up a one minute video, which a lot of people think is like, oh man, one minute, that's great. But if you go and watch one for a minute and leave, YouTube's like, well, they're not sticking around. So YouTube really rewards if you get people to stay on the platform as long as possible. So the two kind of numbers that we just optimize our entire channel around is our CTR and our AVD. So if, if you're trying to do a YouTube channel, you got to pay attention to these stats. And I think a lot of people are like, oh, just upload and figure it out. But if you can upload, CTR is your title, thumbnail, and your topic. So you need to kind of keep tweaking those. And you can see your CTR. They show it to you. And secondly is your AVD. So how long am I keeping people on the YouTube platform? And so look at the top videos. If you look at Mr. Beast, uh, if you look at Legal Eagle, these guys now are doing 15 to 35-minute videos. Why? Wow. Because if you're keeping them on the fucking YouTube platform, more ads get shown. YouTube makes more money, they're going to reward you. So we did, we, dude, it was crazy. We did an analysis recently, and as we uploaded less minutes, let me, let me see if I can take a screenshot. I'll send you the graph. Um, as we uploaded less minutes, we got less subscribers, and we got less basically rewarded. And so now that we've started saying, oh, let's upload more minutes of quality content, we have seen our subscriber numbers, our watch time overall, uh, and our revenue go up. But, but when does it go down? Like it's, it's almost like a laugher curve where if you have – uh, uh, you know, if the government 
has 0% tax rate, they make no money. And if the government has 100% tax rate, they make no money because no one's incentivized to work. But there's somewhere in the middle that they the, the government maximizes how much money they make. So it just sounds like there's a YouTube curve of, of like, like, when's it too long? When your retention goes down. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? <clears throat> the real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. You want me to do a critique of your channel, by the way? Because there's some shit you can fix, because there's some stuff I don't like on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would love that. So... Let me give a counterexample because people are going to, oh, dude, I don't want to upload 15, 20 minutes. Well, then don't do it. Don't do YouTube. You have to play there. So the winner of the whole game is YouTube. But if you want to win on a lower level and you'll still win very well, you have to play their fucking game. You can't cheat their game. You have to play the game and win it based on the rules that they're setting because it's their sandbox. So in terms of James, your channel, um, a few things. So when you come onto your main channel, People subscribe, basically, the two biggest ways that people subscribe is your channel page and the individual watch page. So on the channel page, uh, I am not subscribed to you, but your video here says, My Story, James Altucher. I don't, personally, I don't give a fuck. I think what's a really better use of that space is take whatever is your recent video so that you can get it popped up so that YouTube can actually give it more show. So whatever is your most recent video, make that your channel video. And you're looking at my my channel with 28,000 subscribers, right? Yes. Yeah, so the, the okay. number one thing, first thing I do to optimize your channel page is that My Story James Alter for unsubscribed people. Either put your most popular video there or put whatever's a recent video that you want to get more traffic. Why? No one cares about your story. And right. if it's a new video, it'll, it'll pop so that YouTube gives it a little more views because people are seeing it there. And then it potentially can get, like YouTube's like, oh, let's give this more juice or we'll take it down. Or give it a popular video because you know when people see that video, they're going to watch it versus your My Story video. No one cares. Um, so that's number one. Number two, I'm going to click on your... There's other things to do, but that would probably be the first thing I would change. The second thing I'm looking at, James, on I go to your videos tab and I look at all the videos you've done in the past few months. Certain people like Ryan Reynolds can make a one-minute video that's really fucking entertaining and get millions of views. Not many of us are Ryan Reynolds. And so you have to figure out what it, what's rewarded on YouTube. Um, you had Andrew Yang on and you put out these like micro clips. What I'm trying to figure out is what have you done that's actually worked on YouTube? So when you put out a podcast that's just you talking, a thousand views, when you put out your side hustle thing, 600, no, nah, these are all shit, dude. So the one video you've done in the past month is you said, why NYC is dead, James Altucher. 36,000 views compared to your podcast ones, which gets less than 1,000. Right. So I'm just trying to look at, all right, well, what are some of the type of series, like series or buckets that you can kind of keep repeating that will work in getting uh, a larger audience. That that one though is a little connected to, and, and I agree with you, that one though is connected to, I had this article, New York City is dead forever, here's why, with, which about 30 million people read. So it was this, in it's insanely viral article that got a lot of heat. Jerry Seinfeld responded to it. It just, it just blew out beyond proportion. So even doing a video uh, about it 
rode that wave. So the video organically, I don't think was is the result of, the, of why it got 36,000 views. I think it got a percentage of how this ecosystem of that article got a lot. So I do agree with you, but so the two things that I would make suggestions for you if you're trying to grow your YouTube channel, when I spent a year, and I, I would say I'm a pretty expert marketer. I'm not great at many things, but marketing is one of them. Growing a podcast is fucking tough. I think you've probably known that. Like your download numbers don't change a lot. No, you're right. I my I feel like I started off with a certain number of download numbers in 2014, and I I grew till about 2017. But then there was two million podcasts out there, and so we still grow. But the the yeah. the the second derivative is negative, meaning the acceleration has has gone down. So we we grow, but not grow as as much. Okay, so like this like one percent a year. Yes, and so this is why I moved more of my attention as a content creator to YouTube. Why? Because I put out a video and it can get between five and 20,000 views. And I'm like, holy shit. It actually, I can grow my audience. I can never grow the fucking podcast audience. And then podcasters will be like, my CPMs are better. I'm like, not really anymore. So for me, that's why I go to YouTube because I feel like I'm getting disproportionate returns for my input. I'm like doing a video. Oh, wow. My audience grows. Podcast, it was like, hey, do a great episode. Pretty much stays the fucking same. So that is why I've spent more time on YouTube. And I basically do a YouTube video, like a, I think a pretty high quality one, and then turn that into a podcast. And I think other people are trying to, like yourself, doing it the other way around. And guess what? That's why you're not getting any fucking results because you're trying to serve Mexican food at a Japanese restaurant. Yeah. So uh, that's the second time in my life I've heard that exact analogy. And in both times, it's correct. Oh, yeah. So my suggestion for your channel is what you just said was like, hey, this, this article is really popular. James, you have probably 100 really fucking popular articles. Take all your shitty ass like podcast uh, interview ones down that no one watches. Just delete just, them. I would hide, them, hide for them now. YouTube reward. You might not want to totally delete them because YouTube, if your watch time goes down, then they're going to punish you. So you don't want to maybe delete them all right away. But you should take all of your most popular articles, get out your camera and be like, hey, here's the article about this fucking thing. New York's dead, blah, blah, blah. And guess what? That will actually work on YouTube because you already know those are popular articles and just do all the ones you've yeah. ever done. Oh my God. I love it. And that, that goes along with another idea I had a long time ago. Um, wait, let me just, I'm just writing this down. Uh, so like for instance, my, one of my most popular articles was don't, why you should never buy a home. So, but I've never done a video about it. Dude, um, go do that video. That yeah. video will work. And, and if you're going to, so here's what we've observed with podcast videos. Cause there's a lot of podcasters out there who put it, who I would say diarrhea it on YouTube. It doesn't work. Like take Tim Ferriss. It doesn't work. I love Tim Ferriss. We're friends. We're homies. His videos where he's making a video for YouTube do well. When he just uploads him talking to Matthew McConaughey, yeah, it gets a good amount of views, but it doesn't get millions of views like Mr. Beast does. Why? Because he's catering to YouTube. And so I think your, your podcast ones, what we've observed, the ones that do well are you take like a 10-minute clip, 10 to 15-minute clip, and kind of produce it. So if you go to our channel uh, and look at, like we did one with Donald Miller, who's my, one of my favorite authors. I like Donald Miller. He, we put out a clip. It's a 10-minute clip called how to find meaning in your business and life and it's yeah, a, I, lo I, I love like the idea of meaning and and what's this how are you the hero of your story the, these donald miller-esque themes is just him, great yeah yeah so we took a clip of uh, a podcast interview and then produced it into a segment and i think if you want to do your podcast episodes look you could put out minute ones and it could work but what we've looked if you look at your two stats your ctr and your avd like your 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 thumbnails are, are pretty crappy. It's just you. Yeah. It's the same one every time. Which maybe you're it's not that you're crappy, just maybe that's not as recognizable. So I would kind of keep experimenting to see, hey, do we need to change a new image? What are popular people doing? And then kind of keep playing around with your titles 
Because right now, you have to think about, I'm trying to attract the people who don't know me. Right. So anyways, at high level, I think if you focus more on articles that are like, that you know are already popular or just topics that you can just talk. And two, if you're into these podcasts and put them up on YouTube, uh, I would update your titles. And two, pick out segments that are somewhere between six to 15 minutes that are just like the strongest pieces of an interview and make them a little bit better produced. Right, as opposed to me just talking. Yeah, I mean, you talking is fine. The New York City one is dead. Let me just pull this one up. Um, that, that, there's, there's some production in that. Yeah, dude. And I know the article was popular, but that's exactly it. Go do all your most popular articles just like this. Um, one other thing you're... And guess what? That will work. Let me. I'm going to do a quick analysis on your actual videos themselves. So two things you're missing on your, your videos that are just like easy, quick wins. You're missing the branding. So in the bottom right for non-subscribers... I'll send you a screenshot. In the bottom right for non-subscribers, you can add a branding piece. So if you go to any of my videos as a non-subscriber, um, youtube.com slash okdork, you'll see, you'll see on the video, on the bottom right, it has this thing. You have to actually enable that. I do not know why they don't make that by default. So that's the number one thing, which will instantly grow your subscribers because it goes on automatically all your videos. Second, wait, 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 where do I see at the bottom right? I don't, I'm not sure I see it. So on the bottom right of your videos, you don't have anything. <laughs> but let me oh, show you oh, a counterexample. Oh, right, you have a subscribe button. Yes, so for everybody else, let me try to show you a different, I'll show you one that has it. Most How do you other, put it there? There, you just, there's a YouTube setting. Uh, here, let me get the link for you. I'll, I'll find it, it's good. Uh, I'm just, I'm taking the note down. Uh, how to add a watermark to your YouTube video. 2019. Here, I'll get you the link so you can do it. If you go to my videos unsubscribed, you'll see it in the bottom right. Yeah. Okay. So that's number one. Literally, that'll instantly increase your subscribers overnight. Because you're now, everyone's like, oh, let me hit that button. Yeah. Uh, so you go to YouTube Studio, click Settings, and then you go to Channel and brand Branding. So yeah, how to add a subscribe button to your YouTube. So here, I'll, I'll, put, I'll send you the link. So that's number one I would do for your videos pretty much instantly. Uh, and you could just copy anybody's button that they use. Second thing is in your videos, uh, you need to tell people to go subscribe in the description. So your description right now is here's some text, here's the original article, here's Seinfeld, here's Seinfeld's rebuttal, and then follow me on these all these places that don't matter. Facebook, who cares? Instagram, kind of interesting. Twitter, kind of interesting. Um, I found it's most important. The only two things that I really try to focus on, uh, if you go to my descriptions, copy it. Subscribe to my channel. Put the subscribe link in your in your description. Go subscribe to my YouTube. Because guess what? It's easier to get people to do it whatever medium they're already in. Right. So I would do your YouTube channel subscribe and secondly, add your newsletter in there. And I would probably cut Facebook uh, and maybe even Twitter. Because I find- Maybe like, all these things. It's like I got this huge list of things. Yeah, it's like, and it's also, that's at the bottom. So what's most important? on YouTube, getting them to stay more on YouTube. That's what YouTube wants to do. And secondly, probably your email list so you can actually communicate with the audience and not have to pay the overlords. Yeah. Dude, I'm like a YouTube whisperer, man. This is fun. I know. This is great. I, this is amazing. Well, I, again, taking a step back, I feel like we jumped into this and we started having sex without really foreplay. I just kind of was like, <laughs> all right, James, I'm going to start I'm gonna start being a big bear on you. I, no, no, but I, believe me, I am 1,000% appreciate this. Awesome, man. Um, the reason... I like it is that I think the audience capacity and capability is the largest and best on YouTube in terms of trying to get a amount of attention. And so by making these changes, I think versus a podcast, which is, is a great medium as well, 
I just don't think podcasts, I was able to grow the audience. On YouTube, I can see that the work I do gets me results and, and I can help and reach more people. And I just felt like I never was able to do that on other channels as effectively. Even blogging, like I can see like, like I put up a blog post and I pray that SEO works. I think on YouTube, I feel like there's more control that, all right, here's why the CTR wasn't good or here's why I didn't get uh, results for this type of video. Yeah, because I mean like even on even for OK Dork, like let's say you have three times as many subscribers as me, but you're getting like 10 times as many views or more, 20 times as many views or more per video. That's exactly right. Look at Tim. Tim Ferriss is a great example of it. Tim is the big, one of the biggest business podcasts out there. He's only got 700, 800,000 YouTube subscribers. And his videos don't actually get a lot of views relative. No, you get more video. Uh, well, here's one with 2.7 million. No, no, he, um, but some of his videos do. And it, mm -hmm. But my point, though, is that compare that to like a professional YouTuber. Look at Graham Stevens, who every one of his videos gets hundreds of thousands. And then pretty regularly, he's, he's banging out these million ones. So this is kind of like some shortcuts for building up a good YouTube channel. And then and then there's basically what I'm what I keep calling the spoken wheel approach is once you build an audience of of the subscribers you want. I'll add that because you don't need as many subscribers. You just need the subscribers you want. You can start building these spokes like courses, coaching, and so on. Yeah, dude. Exactly. It's and interesting to look at your most popular videos. And these bring in the audiences, and then you could sell them. I don't know. Some, James, you were selling some weird shit for a while. I was like, what is James selling? What was I selling? I don't know. You got sent out emails and started sending stuff where it was like, it just felt weird. It was like not crypto stuff, but it was like related to that. Yeah. No, you know what? Those were affiliate type things. It had some weird vibes. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I agree with you. Why'd you, why'd you do those? Well, I was making a lot of money on affiliates. So my, my <laughs> email list, my email list makes like two to three million a year in profits. Just my free email list. And so let me ask you, James, your email list, which that's another discussion about the, what you're promoting or not. That's the making you two to $3 million is not linked in any of your videos. Um, yeah, right. You're right. <laughs> nice dude. Yeah. Keep you know, it up, you know why? Because I feel, I feel like, well, I don't know. I don't really, I don't know. That's complicated. Like I love my email list because I get, I get to write. I like what I do is it's like what you were saying earlier. I love to create. I love to write. That's my main thing that I love. And I love writing. I don't necessarily like marketing. And so I don't really like my email list that much, which is a disconnect. So that's a problem I have to deal with. I mean, I like that. I like my email list subscribers. I don't mean to say that way. I don't like the affiliate ads, even though, by the way, I like the products on the affiliate ads. I just wish there was a more organic way to, to promote them. So number one, my, my point there is that like, if your email list and you like your audience and you want to grow the audience and reach out and communicate with them, it's like, well, why don't you just put the link in the description of your videos, which it's not yeah. in any of them. So I think that's the number one thing. Two, how do you, maybe one thing to consider, and this is what we do on, on our channel and with uh, using sendfox.com, uh, we built it ourselves because I, I was tired of all the other providers. How do you just create more of a template so each week it's easier for you to send emails? So we basically just use a template that every week, it's like every Monday we send an email with a video and every Wednesday we send cool products and also we link to one of our videos. Oh yeah, I like that. So that at least, um, you know, it's very clear how it's broken out. And you're just not having to sweat thinking about it. I think that's what, what's in business, especially even making videos. It's like, all right, what video am I going to do this week? Versus Mr. Beast, it's a formula. I'm going to do something crazy, and I'm going to give it away. I'm going to do something crazy, I'm going to give it away. And I think if you can do that also with your email list, it's like every week I send an email that's like, you know, James Clears 321 or Tim's Five Bullet Fridays or 
Noah, I don't know what I would call mine, but like a few things that I'm interested in. Wednesdays. Yeah, no, these are some amazing ideas. It's got me, it's got me, I'm I'm a little more silent now because I'm thinking about all these ideas. This is like, I've got to start doing these. And then, and then I get, I get, I feel a little tension in me because mm. I, I've, I've maximized my time with everything I'm doing. I, I basically fill out my time. No, if I, it's like money. If when you make more money, there's often a tendency to spend the, the additional amount you just made. So if I make, if I have more time somehow in my life, like when the lockdown began, I suddenly had like an extra 30 hours a week for various reasons. I basically filled it up with projects almost instantly. And so now I'm just trying to think what I should eliminate. Cause I think this is really important. You've, you've convinced me. I should, I need, I need to think, think of what to eliminate from my time to, um, to do this. Cause I think this is valuable. Well, I, I would, I say, I would say that, but I'd also look at it another way. You prioritize certain things because you get rewards from it. Yeah. And so if you were like, holy shit, this YouTube stuff is actually growing my audience pretty quickly, or there's things here I could be doing, you'd probably be more incentivized to, to focus on it more. So you might want to try to figure out, all right, how can I do a few experiments in the next you know, 30 days to put out videos, tweak some of these things, see if it's actually making a difference. And then you're like, oh, fuck, yeah, I, wanna, I do want to prioritize it more. Like I always see this with email lists, and this is how I've made my own. My millions have come through email, uh, through AppSumo.com. Like I think 50% of our revenue still is from our email list. And a lot of people, when I've told them that, they're like, oh, let me try it. And every time people start an email list, they're like, oh, shit, I should have done that sooner. But they can't do that until they actually get some results from it, seeing like, holy fuck, I sent an email. People bought what I was actually recommending or what I, I suggested. Then they're like, yeah, I need to grow this more. And so I think that might happen on YouTube for you more if you're like, holy shit, my email list is growing from it. My subscriber numbers are growing from it. Maybe you're going to get direct sponsors that want you to make a video about one of your products. Uh, you know, and I, I love the idea of using the word experiment. So this is just a side thing, but so my next book's coming out in February. It's called Skip okay. the Line. And part of the concept is I was very frustrated. I was, I, my, just like you, my passions and interests switch all the time. I, my career has switched like five times completely over the, over the past few decades. And so I was trying to figure out how to skip the line. So when you have a passion or a new interest, you can quickly get to the 1% of that field. And, uh, I was frustrated because the 10,000 hour rule, which says you need 10,000 hours to be the best in the world at something. I didn't like that anymore because I'm older. I don't want to spend 10,000 hours figuring out how to be the best. So I changed that to like the thousand experiment rule, which is basically if you do a new experiment each day and the idea of an experiment is there's low downside and there's huge upside and you always learn something. If you do an experiment every day, that's going to be an extraordinarily quick way to skip the 10,000 hour rule. And it works. I've done it. It works. And so, um, I like the idea of, of experimenting somehow with my time to do more YouTube videos. So I, I like that idea. I think you can also make it easier on yourself because how many, how much content would you say you've written that's done well? Um, based on I your mean, own I've, measurement. I've written, I've written thousands and thousands of articles, but let's say like on my blog is basically four or 5,000 articles. And plus I've done, you know, about a thousand podcasts. Uh, and I've been on probably another thousand podcasts. Uh, so, but let's say articles themselves, you know, you know, uh, probably in terms of virality, I don't know, but in terms of well do, done well, I would say about 10%. Yeah. So hundreds of these things where 
I think it also should be enjoyable. Like if you have to go on the camera and be like, hey, I'm doing this thing I don't really want to do, you're not going to want to sustain that. So if you can if, have fun making these, like most of the videos lately that like I made this video that we're talking about today, that was really fucking fun to go and find weird ass YouTube channels that make money and just talk about them. I'm like, I'm like, holy shit, this is like my job now. Like that's fucking dope. And then you, you oh, see what's not fun for me is thinking about uh, production. So you have like, there's nice production in that video. Like there's, you know, these swipes and there's these effects. Who, what do you do then? You like outsource to uh, your video guy? So the team that we have structured is we have a team of, there's me plus three. Uh, so there's a general manager of the channel. So we have a business manager of the Noah Kagan channel. His name is Mitchell and he's awesome. And so Mitchell deals with like collaborations. Mitchell deals with scheduling stuff. Mitchell deals with like, hey, these guys like the Power MBA wanted to sponsor me to make some content. So he was the one that kind of vetted that stuff. Uh, he's working on, on the email list. He deals with all the businessy stuff. Then we have a producer, Jeremy. He is French, au revoir, Jeremy. Uh, and so he will do all the scripting. So for that YouTube video, it was actually awesome. Here, I'll send you, um, I'm gonna send you a link to the script so you can uh, see it as an example. So Jeremy will script the YouTube. Do you get it in the chat? Yeah. Okay. So what Jeremy did, which was amazing actually, I sent him the five channels that I was interested in. He looked up like how many videos they normally put out. He looked at how they make their money, how long they've been doing it. And so this script made it really easy and fun for me, frankly, because I felt like I was learning to come talk about the video. I'm in this room. I have a camera normally set up, have the microphone, made the video. I uploaded. So did he do? Did he do the research? Jeremy did all the research. Wow. So, so what? So you just said? Yeah, what fuck did Noah Jeremy, <laughs> give, give me five YouTube businesses that are weird and 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 figure out how they make money and write the script. And I'll do it. I'll say the words you say, and maybe I'll riff a little bit. And then you had somebody who then took that and um, threw in some B-roll, did some special effects, and so on. So what we, yeah, so me or Jeremy will come up with the ideas. And lately, we're trying to spend more time vetting the topics. Like, as we talked about looking at trending, we only have so much life to live. You and me have the same amount of time each day. So if we're gonna make a video, how do we make one that'll reach a million people versus one, I think we do some videos that'll only reach maybe a few thousand. And I think we need to spend more time on that. So that's what we're thinking about moving forward with our FFR formula. So we had this idea for this video. I sent Jeremy five channels I liked. He put it in the structure, right? He's like, here's what the intro is gonna be like. Here's the details. Then we go over the script together. I record it, upload it to a Dropbox folder. And then Mitchell and Jeremy, we have a, right now we're testing out a bunch of video editors. So we use a, a site called frame.io. You send it out to the video editors, whatever one they chose, and then they can real time leave comments on the video editors work. And so I think we're trying out between like three and five video editors. And then, we, you know, we have a document like here, here's how we like to make our videos. Video editors get it back. And then Mitchell, our general manager, make sure it's uploaded, sets up the email, sets up the social with Jeremy. Uh, and then Jen also, who's our social media kind of assistant, We'll do a lot of the like Instagram and things like that. So wait, uh, frame.io, I'm not sure I understand. So, so frame.io is awesome. Like you can use Dropbox, but let's say I make a video, I put it in the Dropbox folder. I send it off to uh, Steven, who's one of the editors. He'll upload it to frame.io, do all the editing, put it up there for us. And then we can leave comments with different timestamps and arrows and say, hey, we don't like this font. Hey, we don't like the music here. Hey, we don't like the intro. And then frame.io is a great way to collaborate on video editing. It's like Google Docs for video editing. Oh, this is great. This is awesome. Man, so I thought we were going to talk about these sort of, uh, you know, five different businesses you mentioned and how they succeed as, as like five different separate side hustles. But basically, you've laid out a roadmap of how to dominate on YouTube, why YouTube, why now with YouTube, 
and and then a kind of general approach to to uh, monetizing various channels that are ancillary to YouTube. Yeah, we definitely, we covered a lot more than I, I thought. I was just going to tell you about some weirdos that that are making money on YouTube, but it's been fun, man. Like I I think what it sounds like your career and mine. And I've thought about this a lot this year. I feel so fucking blessed to be able to like experiment in different uh, career categories. Like I did Facebook gaming category. I've done SaaS category. I've done Shopify e-commerce category. And now I'm on the YouTube category and content creation. I've always done content creation, but specifically I'm on the YouTube world. And the I'd say the number one reason someone asks why I do YouTube, it's because I get to connect with fucking cool people. Like today happened because of YouTube. You saw the video about YouTube and that. And you're like, yeah. let's talk. Uh, tomorrow, I'm uh, or next week, I'm talking to Pat Betrick David from Valuetainment. Yesterday, I got to meet uh, Tyler Hamilton, who's written one of the best books on cycling called The Secret Race. Oh, and you're you're going on the podcast, or maybe you've already gone of one of my good friends, Brian Keating, famously for, known for losing the Nobel Prize. <laughs> yeah. And Brian, I mean, I do free office hours every Friday uh, to engage uh, the subscribers of our channel. And so, yeah, Brian came on that. He actually saw that I was in San Diego, and then we become friends. And yeah, that's all because this this kind of thing. So I think for anyone in their career, just go put yourself in places where there's going to be a bunch of fucking interesting people. Uh, and start doing cool shit and reach out to them. And then also if you're doing cool shit, they'll reach out to you. By the way, that's ex exactly my approach as well. And so it's, it's, it's really important because you know, your, your, your network is your net worth is the cliche. And, uh, it's true. It, that is fucking true, dude. Yeah. You know, it's funny because I, I have a similar approach. I think, I don't know if this is good or bad. A lot of my interests have nothing to do with monetization. Like I've done, you know, a huge amount, like 30 hours a week up until the lockdowns uh, for the past six years of 30 hours a week of stand-up comedy which i can tell you is not the best way to make money but it was just an obsession of mine and i and i did it and and wanted to learn it and it was it was a, a skill acquisition process and but again it put me in touch with like you know all my heroes in that area like and that's the great thing about a podcast is that you could just call up anybody and say hey can you talk to me for an hour and and they usually say yes so, you know, it's, it's good to have a, to, to want to dominate a variety of interests because that puts you towards the top of those subcultures. Yeah. I mean, I think that's what you've done. So interesting. Like when I read your stories, I'm like, he's got to be fucking lying. Like there's no way. <laughs> that's could... what everyone says. And I never once lie in any of these things. No, and and I, not only that... do I never lie, but I never try to be controversial. <laughs> People accuse me. Oh, you're just trying to be controversial. If that was your strategy, you would be the worst writer in the world. No, and I think you've done a yeah the James Altucher career approach, which is you know I, th I think it'd be almost called the buffet of life, where I think yeah, you've I like explored. That. Hey, I want to try out like writing on TechCrunch and these kind of things. I'm gonna try the. I think you did music industry. You just had like a yeah. I've done a lot of things, and so I think for everyone out there, it's it's potentially jump to a lot of different things or just find the thing you're like. I, I've always admired maybe because I'm not the people who find one thing and just fucking ride it. You know, they're like, hey, I can do this. Like my buddy Adam Gilbert, mybodytutor.com, he just, they coach people in health and they make, makes good money doing that. And uh, he didn't get a certificate, which my mom talks about. How is he making so much money when my, your brother's a doctor? He should be telling people how to do their health. And, uh, but he just loves coaching. He's stuck with, stuck with that. And so. Well, look at, look at like Dan Carlin. You know, he does the podcast Hardcore History. He gets millions of views per, per episode. And his argument before he started the podcast was, hey, I don't have a PhD in history. The, the guy is like probably the best historian on the planet right now. And uh, you don't need the certificate. And, and I think that's a big theme for both of, both of us and a lot of successful people.
Not not saying I'm success, you're a success. So, you know, that's a theme for you. Well, I was talking with my therapist last week and I was like, I want to be with an impressive girl, woman. And she's like, well, are you impressive? Are you successful? And I was like, I never think of myself like that. And she's like, well, maybe you should. Not to have over ego or overconfidence, but it's like, oh yeah, maybe I have done things I can be proud of. So I thought that was cool. You know, it's funny because I think, you know, like six years ago, I think you defined your identity as, you know, the the third employee at Mint, the fifth employee at Facebook, the sixth employee at whatever. And, 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 you know, you were fired from $600 million worth of opportunities. And that was a great story and pitch and identity. But now you've gone so much beyond that, that, you know, you've really gone out into the world and made your imprint and done tons of things other than describing these, you know, fun, you know, culturally interesting stories. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting uh, how we define ourselves and how that can even limit us. And I, yeah. I, I noticed last night we're, we're giving away a black, we're giving away my black Tesla uh, on Black Friday on AppSumo.com. So if people want to win, uh, check out AppSumo.com uh, or our YouTube channels. We'll be giving away a, uh, a Tesla in a few weeks. I, I'm going to apply for it. I don't even have a driver's license. Yeah, dude, you could sell it. It's like uh, $60,000 in value. And we're just doing this insane giveaway. But what I noticed what was fascinating about, we, we did a filming last night. And we we're making we we're making this like crazy video. I was like, wow, it was like legit. We had like the clap thing, and there's producers and all this stuff. And um, two things were, were blew my mind about it. Number one, at first I was like, hey, can I go off? I didn't know I could go off script. I was like, I've got to follow the script. There's this guy. He wrote a script. I've got to follow it. And I think that's kind of like what we're saying all day, like with your career, my career. It's like, fuck the script. You could you don't have to follow these rules. And most of the people who are doing I think things that people admire have just chosen whatever script they want. And it doesn't have to be money. It doesn't have to be fucking billions. It's like, hey, my script is to live a homestead life out in the middle of Montana. Go for it. You don't have to follow the script. Uh, and the second thing I was thinking about is sometimes with doing YouTube, I feel like all I'm doing is living in the past. Like I was at Facebook back in the day or I started AppSumo 11 years ago. And last night we worked in this video till about 3 a.m. And I woke up for, I basically woke up for this, this chat with you. And I was like, man, some of these things that are really fucking hard like that this video last night it was long and hard i was like man i'm so proud of it and it was you know that's that's the key because you want to be creative and at the end look back and say I, I can tell you for me if i love something i wrote it's really interesting i absolutely do not care how many people read it like it makes mm. no difference to me in fact usually the lower quality of the article the more i care about how many people view it now sometimes it'll be the case that something i love does have views and and uh so that's great too but i find what i really i could tell just like i'm sure you could tell on the on you know i've been writing for 30 years so i could tell when something i wrote this is a quality piece once i've done once i feel that and i really feel it in my gut i i don't care if it has zero views or a billion views it just doesn't matter to me i just love writing a quality piece now if it's something not quality, then I absolutely need the views and I'll depend on it because <laughs> why else did I write it? But it's it's much more pleasurable to write something that just feels good. The You know what's interesting you said that, man? You ever done something? Yeah, it's really interesting when you do something and you don't need to ask for someone's opinion. Yeah. You're yeah, like, I think that's I think that's really true. Like nobody if I write something good, nobody could tell me it's not good. That's impossible. But if but other people 
But other times I'll write something like, is this, did I get my message across? I mean, do you understand what I said here? And then I know, because I've done this now so many times, I know that it's not good after that. And I'm just hoping to, that people will read it and it'll go viral in some way. But, but like, for instance, my New York City is, is dead article. I knew that was good. And it was something that triggered huge cognitive dissonance. So the, the combination of those two things um, created a, a, made it viral. So, it, it, you know, so now I've been analyzing why did that go particularly viral? And I've, I've kind of broken it down into its components. And even writing about that feels good. But you made an interesting point about living in the past. For a long time, my quote unquote story was, I made millions, I went broke, I made millions, I went broke, I bounced back, and here's how I did it. And I maybe wrote like a thousand articles like that where I just took slightly different slants each time until finally even my readers were like, oh my God, we can't read any more of these. We get it. You went broke and you bounced back like enough already. And then I had a hard time figuring out, well, who am I if I'm not that? Like that's the story people, that's the arc of the hero. That's the hero's journey. What other hero's journey do I have? And that was a really long multi-year process of discovery there where I had to figure out what, what my story is. Who am I without that story? It was a challenge. How have you thought about that? And how have you kind of been processing I think, I think by analyzing my day, like so, so, so looking at my day and saying, you know, what, what did I do today that was, that was interesting, that was surprising? Or, or look at my week. What, what, what were the three, what, what item bothered me so much that I thought about it almost every day of the week? Because that's probably interesting. So for instance, and I'll just go to this New York City is Dead article, it bothered me that I was, you know, I've lived in New York all my life. It bothered me that I was seeing some really big, deep issues that I had never seen before that everyone was in denial about, including people, you know, working for the mayor or people working for the president or whatever. Like I was talking to a lot of people and they were like, nah, nah, don't worry, it'll come back. And I'm like, but what about this issue, this issue, this issue? So it bothered me that this city I love, people were in denial of, and I was able to tell, interweave my own love affair with New York City, with the issues, with the denial. And I kept thinking, why are they in denial? Why are they in denial? I need to say something to show people why they shouldn't be in denial. And so using my skills as a writer, I was able to do that. And the backlash was that it triggered this huge cognitive dissonance because 8 million people live there and they don't want to be told that the city they live is dead. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's interesting, man. It is. It's. It is good to look at your day. You know, as much as what you're doing in the day, like what you're looking forward to in the day. Like I try to look on every Sunday. I'm like, what am I really looking forward to this week, and what am I not? And uh, but try to remind myself, like maximize the things I want to do and minimize the things I have to do. Well, yeah. like I'll, I'll I'll tell you this one thing. Like also, it's very good. Uh, sometimes I write things just to share ideas, just like you do. You're great at like sharing ideas. So Thanks, I, 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 uh, do you remember this interview that, um, Charlemagne, uh, Charlemagne, the God from the breakfast club did with Joe Biden, where Joe Biden concluded with, you know, Charlemagne said, we have questions and, and Joe had to go and he said, look, if you ain't decided by now who to vote for, then you ain't black. You remember, you remember that, uh, interview and response? No, I, I know there's some shit talking on Charlemagne a lot of time. <laughs> so, well, well, but, 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 but. Joe Biden actually had, to, he had to apologize for saying that because, you know, Charlemagne's got like. 5 million listeners. He's a real important voice in the community. And, and I thought like, this was almost a rallying cry. Like we have questions. I wanted to know what his questions were and I wanted to know what the answers were. So I know Charlemagne, I wrote to him and I said, man, you should, you should just do this. Like right, that we have questions, a rallying cry. write a book. We have questions. 
here's some ideas for questions. Here's some research behind that. You should just do something with this. Talk to you soon. Take this. You don't have to respond to it. And so he wrote back and said, hey, why don't we do this together? Can you help me with this? And I was interested in the topic in because I was like upset that he hadn't been answered. And there are issues. There's issues I have. I want to know the answers to these questions. So what we did was we kind of figured out a way to work on this together. And he got together a bunch of um, kind of African-American leaders and intellectuals and, and so on and, and celebrities. And we worked together on questions that are almost like insane because they're questions, you know, that are, you would almost be afraid to ask. And so now we're making uh, an audiobook out of it. So me just sharing one idea out of something I was frustrated about has created this enormous project that, you know, Amazon's putting a, a, a you know, is, is super interested in. It's going to be like, you know, a big, a big deal for them. And, you know, you sharing ideas like leads to opportunity and leads to, you know, creative enjoyment and, and so on. Amen, dude. I mean, I love that, man. I, I think it sounds like, well, I, I know you pretty well. I think for both of us, we just kind of like go for it. So if you see someone that had something interesting or if you see someone doing something interesting, reach out. Like, yo, that's some great shit. And I think that's kind of the, the serendipity. If, if you think about the moments of life, you're like, man, that was really fun or that was really memorable. I'm really grateful. It's generally on the edges. It's like, you know, I tried this thing. Like my buddy told me a story where he traveled to Europe and they lost his luggage and then they had to go to the mall and buy new clothes. And he's like, that's one of the most memorable trips I've ever taken. Yeah. You never, you can never predict stuff like that. And you know, the other thing is, is that, like you said, it's outside the script. There's, mm. there's benefits to, yeah. there's benefits to having an abundance mindset and abundance, not in terms of money, but an abundance in terms of ideas. So I can give ideas away. Like, like earlier, I mentioned this uh, software I'm working on for, for, you know, to compete against StreamYard among other things. And just, just, share, you know, what if someone competes with me and, and beats me at the idea? No problem. I'm abundant in ideas. I don't need to. I don't need to be afraid of anyone stealing my ideas because I'm abundant. And that mindset leads to so many different opportunities and ideas. And, and the sharing of, of these ideas, you know, starts to build community before anything's released and so on. So I just, I just do it. But at the same time, there's that's all. Having ambition like that is also frustrating because I'd like to build the number of YouTube subscribers, or I like to, you know, be a better podcaster or be a better writer. Like, you know, when you, when you want to be good at things, there's always a balance between satisfaction with how you're doing and, and pleasure in, in growing in knowledge, but also like, oh, I want to be even better than I am. And there, there's that balance. Yeah. That's, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, like, what do you feel frustrated with? What do you want more of? I don't know what I want more of. I go through a lot of things with, honestly, I go back and forth with that a lot. Um, lately, a lot of it, it's around housing. Like I regretted not buying a nicer house. I know you're, you're anti-housing. Um, <laughs> and then two days ago, I was biking home in Austin. I just, I got back here after I've been traveling. I was like, what about the house I do have? I'm like, it's pretty fucking cool. And like, I can, I can make it cooler. Uh, and so I think lately, some of my success or some of why I've been able to create the things in life is because I'm so focused on next. I'm like, what's next? And how do I get more? Yeah, yeah. How do I get more of it? And I think this year I've, I've tried to, uh, me and my, uh, my therapist call it, instead of the microwave life, which is like fast, all right, hit that fucking button and microwave because I eat a lot of my food in the microwave. He's like, what about a slow cooked life? You know, you put it on the, the cast iron, you put it, you know, really. Oh my God, quality. I love that. And Beam. so, 
And so uh, I think this year, as much as I am, I am focused on what's next, and I do like accomplishing things, uh, I've kind of just tried to be a little bit more like, okay, what's going on and what's good going well now? Uh, and slowing it down a bit. Because like it's like Titanic. You know the fucking ending, but the whole reason you go to the movie is to watch the whole fucking between the beginning and the end. And I think that's I think, true for our lives. It's like, yo, you're I think it's a great that. metaphor, the slow cook life. I love that. I don't know if I quite live that. I think I'm in. <laughs> no, dude, you're, I'm in a perpetual next. <laughs> I, I had coffee with a friend. Same thing. She's like, I had this thing, and I got this thing, and I got. I'm like, well, you're gonna die. And my ex used to always say this to me. She's like, so you're you're gonna be buried with all the money and all the things you're accomplishing. Like Elon probably still gonna die. All these people are still gonna die. And it's just you know I can't be buried with the money, so might as well try to enjoy everything between now and when that burial happens. How come how come you don't have a girlfriend right now? Uh me and my fiance broke up in April. Um and it's it's actually been a blessing. We've started becoming friends again and and you know re- rebuilding our relationship and our friendship. Uh but yeah, broke up then. So yeah, almost 40 single. Uh I think that's something I've been, you know, feeling conflict about for the past year. Well, that works out when it works out. It does. Honestly, I think it, my mom, you'll meet her when you didn't expect her. And uh, That's true. Your mom's giving so? good advice. Uh, you know, I, th- I think we all know when something's calling us. Uh, and, I, and I think what's interesting or what I've experienced this year is I was around one friend who's dating a lot. He's banging all these girls. And I'm like, I should do that. That's what I should be doing. But then I would get on the phone or I'd go meet people. And I was like, I really don't want to do that. I'm not interested in that. Yeah, uh, it's not fun. In fact, most of the time, it's really boring. <laughs> Yeah, and and I think what's interesting is really trying to, and a part of the slower life, and you ask what's more, it's just like, well, let me just listen to myself, which is pretty, like, I'm like, well, I'm going to trust Noah. And I think when you're in a relationship, you kind of, you you lose a little bit of trust in yourself. And when it's just you, you're like, okay, let me listen to what I really want in relationships and then with work and, and all these different things. Do you ever get scared of not being relevant? You know, like like the like the kind of slate of people each year who are relevant you know, constantly changes. Do you, do you ever get worried that uh, relevance might slip away or, or change or that one day you wake up and it's just, you know, absolutely nobody knows who you are or watches your YouTube videos or anything? Like, you know, and, and you know someone who I admire and, and he's still very relevant, but like his relevance has changed. You know, this is your fellow Austin, um, you know, person, uh, Tucker Max, he was relevant for writing these amazing, you know, he was the one of the three people in the history of the planet to have three books on the New York Times bestseller list at the same time. Malcolm Gladwell and Michael Lewis were the other two. And he just doesn't write books anymore. He runs a publishing company and he's really, that's what he focuses on. So he's not as out there anymore. And he, I think he's dealt really well with this, this switch in the type of relevance he has. Uh, I think what in our 20s, we have different needs and wants. Like what I've noticed, I remember when I was 20 at Facebook working and there'd be these older guys in their 30s and I would be there all day. I'd be there on weekends. And I worked, that's all I did. And I think we just evolve as people. And then now I'm in 30s, I see these 20-year-olds, I'm like, they're great to hire and they're great to have around. The energy is fucking phenomenal. But I think we're more mindful of our time and our priorities. And so I think in terms of relevance, I don't, I personally don't think about the relevance. I think I probably wanted some attention much more earlier on. Um, what I just, it doesn't cross my mind. Uh, mm-hmm. I think where, where I think about more is just getting outdated with software. And what I mean by that is I just don't want to be the guy where I'm like, TikTok is stupid. Because I remember when I worked at Facebook, one of the guys uh, that we took over his office space, before we took over his office space, he's like, what do you guys do? Facebook, that's stupid. And so I think the the question I would would say is not about relevancy. It's just how do you put yourself in a place 
where you're at least exposed and you're open-minded to new things regularly. And that, yeah. that's what I try to do. So I think that's good. Cause then you could say, well, I have faith that if I'm constantly exposed to these things, I'm going to figure out some twist on this. That's going to be interesting. And that's what I care about. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and honestly, I, I think I got lucky with it or maybe unlucky. Not, no, I think I got very lucky with it. Like AppSumo, our main business that that's provided my lifestyle and we've helped all these customers and promote all these cool products. Like that business is literally the, the basis of the business is finding new cool things. Like that's what we do. We go out and find yeah. the best tools and then we promote them. And I don't know. I think that's how you can stay relevant in that category. I, yeah, it's interesting. It doesn't cross my mind about relevancy. And even attention, I guess with attention, I always think of the treadmill. I think of this fucking treadmill that just doesn't fucking end. So I'm like, well, if I go on this treadmill for attention and I'm just wanting more and I'm moving more, it's like it never fucking stops. So how do I just do it where I'm not having to, to be on this treadmill? And what do you do? How do I do it lately? I think honestly what it is, is am I doing what I really want? Am, like what you said earlier, you said, I wrote the article I really fucking wanted. I didn't care about all the views or not the views and I put it out. And with almost every one of my weeks now, I'm really not waking up with an alarm. That's one of my new kind of mottos, like fuck alarms. And two, the content I'm doing or the conversations I'm going to be having or the week I'm going to be having, how much of it do I really want to do? Because the YouTube game, the content creation game is a challenging one for, because you're like, well, what's popular? Like for me, for instance, if I talked, I know what stuff is going to be really popular. I can show you how much fucking millions I have. I can show you how we started companies. I can show you like how to do your marketing for your startups. That stuff is going to do really fucking well. But I don't want to do that all day. And I just, and I think that's where you start feening relevancy. That's where you start feening yeah. Uh, yeah. for the attention. And so I have to be mindful of what's popular, but also do that in a way that I'm excited, like looking forward in my week. And I think that's a great question every Sunday. Like, what are you fucking looking forward to? And so for me, right. like this, and I, I try to color it, uh, color code my calendar to be like, okay, what's orange? Orange is like my fun thing. Uh, or purple, which is my productivity time. And it's like, I also have yellow, which is learning. And for me, it's like, how much of these things that I'm excited about fill up the calendar for me to just make sure I'm in that zone of doing the things I want? And honestly, then I don't care about the attention. I don't care about the relevancy. Uh, I just kind of care what, about- What like, percentage of your week do you hope or plan is the things you're looking forward to as opposed to the just your regular things? The whole fucking week. Yeah. I think and my, how often does that happen though? I mean, now almost every fucking week. And you don't That's have great. to be a multimillionaire or anything like that to make that happen. It could be in any type of career. I think the disconnect is that we have shit. Like I would have these meetings in the morning and I was like, why the fuck do I do this meeting? I don't have to have this fucking meeting where I'd like to get better at. And maybe I just don't. I'm fucking 40. Maybe I don't have to do it. I don't have a, I, I'd like to schedule everything because I want to know what's fucking coming and I want to have things to look forward to. And so the amount of like just open hours is much less. Um, and that's just more my style. What I, to your original question, what I actually think is not relevant to your attention, but I question in the past few weeks, I've wondered this is doing content creation, the best return on my time. Like would I get a better return creating a new software business, uh, or maybe being a business manager. Cause like, you know, I'm putting a lot of my week into making a few videos that get 20,000 views, which, you know, it's funny. It is a lot of fucking people and it is so fucking cool connecting with them and seeing the comments and all that stuff. Uh, I don't think it's unhealthy to ask that question. But when I take a step back and be like, yo, did you do what you wanted this week? Yeah. Is there anything else you want to do that you're not doing? No. All right. So keep fucking doing it. I think that's critical because you mentioned about the girl you were talking to who, and you said you can't be buried with your money. I mean, look, if my, I know, just like you, I know how to make money, right? That's a skill. It's a hard skill to develop. 
and I'm not bragging and saying, and I've done it over and over again. I've also lost money over and over again, but I know how to make it. And uh, so six years ago, I started, I got obsessed with doing stand-up comedy. So I would spend 30, sometimes 50 hours a week preparing, studying, thinking, performing. I would do 10 to 15 shows a week, right up until the lockdowns. And that was my life. And I can guarantee you it makes zero money. <laughs> So if I, if I, if I, someone who has the skill set to make millions, if I had devoted those thousands of hours towards making money, I would have made a lot more money, but you can't, you, but then life's over. And then I wouldn't have done these, these, spent those thousands of hours doing something I incredibly love. Now, maybe it subsides a little, particularly after this lockdown. And so I could focus on other things, but for six years, that's what I loved doing. There was nothing that was going to take that place. Well, two two observations on that. Number one, I've made the most money when I haven't tried to make money. Yeah, like I I, I put on a charity bike ride uh, this weekend called Sumo Ride, and all the money goes to laptops for kids. And I was like, Yo, I don't want a lot of people there. We've done big productions, and then this year it was like, can we just have a few people that we know and raise some money and have fun, and you know, it's kind of like a party that has a bike ride. And we ended up raising almost ten thousand dollars. And I was like, Oh, I wasn't really trying to raise a lot. And obviously, with charity, you do want to raise a lot. But I think for everyone out there, it's like, how do you find the activity? And I think where people get fucked up is they're like, oh, James got rich doing this shit. I'm going to go fucking copy him. And then it doesn't, they're not rich overnight. And they're like, well, this sucks. Versus Mr. Beast Approach or Furious Pete, who's one of my favorite YouTubers. They're just like, Furious Pete just fucking does food challenges. That's all he does. And he loves it. And I think he loves it. And the guy's got millions of subscribers because he's been doing it for so fucking long. And so it's just finding the thing that you want to keep doing. Like, if I never got any more fucking views... I would still be blogging and most likely YouTubing. Yeah, I would. I've been doing it for twenty years. I'm gonna probably do it for the next twenty. The other suggestion I would say is James, and same with me. Can we? You should update your background. It's fucking boring looking at the curtains. Yeah, I should. I I uh, I just Not moved should, into this house, cool. and I don't know what I should do. What do you think I should have? You, I mean, you have. You're, look at who's talking. You have like a white background there. Well, I just got this print. This is like one of my favorite cyclists. So I think I'm gonna put that in the background, just like kind of like back up there. That's a good idea. I mean, I always like minimalism environments, but I should have something that I like up there. It is kind of boring. Well, it's a whole separate topic, but my house is a piece of shit. It's literally a crack house. Like, I've got cracks all over the house. Um, <laughs> no one's doing crack there that I know of in this this time period. But anyways, I, I left for the past five months during corona. I did went on a road trip, or four months, excuse me. And I gave a girl, a woman, I know, $15,000. And I said, hey... I just want you to fix the landscaping and I want to come back surprised. And I came back last week and it kind of was like, fuck, it was amazing. She, it was amazing. And it was this powerful lesson for me of, wow, instead of having to burn everything down or move somewhere new, with just a little bit of money and a little bit of change, I can make my environment a lot better. Yeah, and you know, there's also another element there, which is, and this is similar to your coffee challenge, I think it's an interesting challenge to figure out every day how you're going to either surprise yourself or surprise others. Ooh. So when you give a challenge like that, you know you're going to come back that day probably surprised and it's going to feel good. And so I try to do even little surprises like, like you know, this is a, a very dangerous surprise potentially, but like the other day, uh, I, I always wake up earlier than everyone else in my house. So, uh, and then my wife wakes up second and she comes down for coffee. And so I basically got her coffee ready for her and, and said, oh, I got your coffee ready for you, but I was completely naked. <laughs> and so, 
that was a way I surprised her. <laughs> but, you know, I think I shut more shock than surprise, but, uh, uh, and maybe disappointment on her part. But, uh, uh, if you figure out ways to surprise every day, it's really fun. It's funny. It's interesting, and it's a it's an, a creative challenge. So it builds that creativity muscle, and and that's a fun thing to do as well. And you know, in your your experience with the the decorator, it gives fifteen thousand dollars. So one time, I you know I don't own a house, of course, but one time this is several years ago. Uh, I I I had a lease coming up. I didn't want to rent anymore, so I didn't want to. But I had all these things. I had forty years worth of objects in my home. And so I gave someone money, just like you did. And I was going on a trip for a week to California. And I said, listen, when I get back, I want you, I don't, I'm not going to go back to this apartment ever again. So I want you to take every item and either throw it away, give it to charity, keep it for yourself, uh, you know, sell it and keep the money. And, you know, that was it. And I, but I just want to get rid of everything. I'm going to come back from this trip with my carry-on bag and that's going to be all my belongings in life. And that's when I started living from Airbnb to Airbnb. And so it's just great when you like do something and come back and you have a whole new life. That's a surprise too. It's, I mean, it sounds like the more it's fun to be surprised. Yes. <laughs> the power of surprise book title. So, so Noah, we got to have these conversations in front of millions of people more often. I, did, I um, agree. Yeah, so thank you so much for coming on the podcast. You, you, I, I think we just emailed back and forth yesterday and you came on today, so this is great. That's cool. Thanks again. 